0: For every earthling who's ever dreamed of adventures beyond the stars comes the astonishing story of one who made it, Alex Rogan. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Sewer and the Kodan Armada. Of all the life forms in all the galaxies, one has been chosen to be the last starfighter. The last starfighter. With the film of the number one hit, Do They Know It's Christmas, the official Band-Aid Story. In the West End and across London now, rated PG.
1: Rollin' again. Rollin', rollin', rollin'. Keep those doggies rollin'. Ride through the storm <laughs> and rainy weather. Got my girl together. They play all them
0: now. All those old westerns. Another musical into that. version. Another musical installment. Of, of uh, Saturday, Saturday Movie
1: Sleepovers. Uh, I'm Dion Baia. And I'm Jay
0: Blake. And we're here tonight to talk stuff about stuff. Is this the most recent movie we've done? Do you
1: think? Um, 1997. This could be the most. This is the 20th anniversary of this movie, and this this might be the the uh, this might be to date the most recent movie. I guess. What else? What was the most recent? Last week, two weeks ago, we did uh 1992. That was tw- a 25er. Yeah. Before that was 1980, and I don't Wayne's, I don't know what Wayne's else. World? Wayne's World was 92-2, isn't it?
0: 92 to, Yeah, that was an
1: anniversary as well. well. No, the 25, 25th. And then was there anything beyond um, Wayne's World that we've done?
0: We well, uh, might have hit the ni- early 90s, but I think this is the most re- the most current <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've gotten the so 20, And the,
1: the, the week this comes out, this is going to be the same week 20 years ago that this, that this was released theatrically. I mean, not the same date, but the same week. So we're we're topical, yeah. To the
0: minute. We're dropping it at exactly the same moment that the first screening.
1: And I have to say that what's-her-face doesn't look like she's aged a day. She must have, like, a a picture locked away in a vault somewhere. Uh, I mean, a Yeah. You know? Because you see her in all those Resident Evil movies now, and she just looks the same. (coughs) Good genes. Yeah. I don't know what the hell is going on with her.
0: She never really did it for me, but I will agree that she is aging well.
1: I mean, she doesn't... uh, I don't know how... Because I have no grasp of time with her. Like, how old is she... In this movie, I think verse, she's like 22. Oh, okay, that would make sense then. So that when she's 40,
0: I could just be making that up. Though. <laughs> it completely I'm de- not conjecture. sure I have anything to gauge that on. It's uh,
1: yeah, because you get people like that that just don't they hit a, a mark in their life like Leslie Nielsen. He got older, and then for 20 years he was just older. And then you know, right before he died, he kind of went over the hill, and you can say, "Oh my God, he's aged significantly." Or Sean yeah. Connery just gets old, and then he's the same way for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And then they hit that mark and they age really quickly. And you're like, oh my God, you got to stop the aging. Fr-. Like they're catching up, <laughs> you know? So it's, and then there's other people who just, you know, you, you, you miss a movie with them and you come back and they look completely different. Like, Jesus. Well, what's
0: weird about Sean Connery is like he aged. It's, he seemed to age more between like Goldfinger and Thunderball yeah. than he did from Last Crusade to now. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Or I'd even go back. I'd say as far back as like the mid-'80s because in The Untouchables, he looks the same. Oh, yeah, Untouchables,
0: yeah. 87.
1: And, uh, so, right, so like mid-'80s, like but right like, after the last Bond looks, that wasn't it, a Bond.
0: There was like a, something happened in it like one or two years between Gold, uh, Goldfinger and Thunderball, where he just...
1: Well, I wonder if it was just he was getting old because he wasn't a spring chicken when he got into it because he he acted in the 50s and stuff. So I wonder if it was just him, you know moving from like the young person in your twenties to like your you know, being a man and then yeah. that was the we just caught him his fame when he was making that segue. Yeah. I mean you know? that
0: piece his hairpiece changed. They yeah, got a new hair he, piece yeah, and, that and that's that's him. so
1: astounding to me to think that he's had a piece on all these years, like like uh, William Shatner, like back in the in the Star Trek days. I'm and that high def, I'm like an inch away from the television, looking at that brow or the hairline, looking to yeah, see. Yeah, if well, could have you know, with, I
0: was with Shatner in the beginning. It could have just been like the back, like the Ted Danson thing. Oh, where like like a yarmulke, where they the probably. yeah, where the the hair Yeah, because uh, yeah. I remember when we were in college. You, we were what You and I were watching an episode of Bionic Woman. Wow! And you're like, "Whoa, what's the hell? What's going on with Shatner's hair?" And it was like the worst piece I'd ever seen. It was like made out of yarn or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a raggedy and an Andy wig. Jesus! <laughs> and you're right. like, "Man, what's going on with his hair? It's kind of crazy." I was like, "You know, he wears a toupee, right?" And you're like, "What?" Yeah, I, was, I, were, I, went, home, I went to the bathroom <laughs> and cried. <laughs> he, he was shy. I was like, "He's got the most like." Infamous to pay him, but he time. doesn't. He's never. He's not like Walter
1: Koning. He's never like no, even he's talked never, about it, right? He's, he's never pulled acknowledged it, off it. And
0: said, you, you know what? Fuck it, I'm old.
1: And I wonder for those years, like where he was living in a van down by the river. If, if, like, you know, that's hard to be able to to keep your look consistent. And I mean, he's been in a lot of movies, like T.J. Hooker. Those years, I can't tell. That's a real like to me. If he is wearing a piece, it's never been. Yeah, You know, because there's some people you can spot up. Like, I'm walking in New York City down the street. I see a guy across the street. I'm like, he's wearing a piece.
0: Yeah, but you got to figure they got, like, hair people. Yeah, of course. Be- yeah. In between every take. Making they're sure helping to, him. You know, the fact you know. that his hair got, you know, darker, curlier, and, like, more lush as he got older. <laughs>
1: like in the yeah. 80s. And I guess that's what happened with Connery, too. He kind of, like, you know, he had, like, like dreadlocks. And, you know, like <laughs> He had, like, Fabio <laughs> hair, you know, and... You know, but I guess it's hard to to make that segue when you I, and then the technology of the piece, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, if, yeah, you're, it if changes. you're, yeah, if you're into that technology, because there is you can glue it on, but then there's also people get it um, kind of like into woven into existing hair, and then as the hair grows, they have to go and get it like tightened. You know, I get that a lot when I'm micing somebody up and they sit down. And I'm over them. I'm looking down. Another thing I get, which is really weird, is when people get the, um, uh, you know, when they take hair from one place in your head and they put it on top Yeah, to like fill the in plugs yeah the, so you see you know you get all scabby and it's kind of it, it's disgusting to me because i'm so close i'm looking at it it's just done so you just see like it's dots yeah yeah. you know it looks like it's like almost like a, you know it's weird and i'm like mm-hmm. oh gosh like hey, just stay at home for a little longer <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of bald actors speaking of bald actors who wear pieces all the time um, um. telly savalis <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just kidding uh, we got bruce willis this week in uh, um in uh luke bassan this is our first bruce willis uh this is our film? first yeah luke bassan film bruce willis film uh, it's not our first is it our first sci-fi future sci-fi film
0: no we've done
1: Star many a sci-fi yeah, yeah.
0: okay we did last starfighter we did do last Starfighter. yeah but i'm
1: saying in the future like takes place oh, futuristic yeah as opposed to just straight up sci-fi like fantasy sci-fi I don't um, know,
0: because we've talked about doing it for a long time. Yeah, Not this movie specifically, but, others but, too. but doing like a futuristic science fiction movie.
1: So we don't really know our
0: catalog obviously.
1: <laughs> so for all we know, we could have done this last a week.
0: For us, they're mostly just passing conversation. Yeah,
1: we were just talking about how time is so relative <laughs> and how we're getting older. And, uh, you know, I said I just watched this movie, but I realized it must have been, geez, 20 years ago that I just watched this movie. Uh, I saw this movie when it came out in the theater. Uh this came out in 1997, and I remember we... I guess we'd graduated high school by then, uh, and we were on our way to college, and I took a girl to see this on a date, and it was really cool. It was a chick who was a year older than me in high school. I'm going to leave her name. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say her name uh, so I can protect the innocent and uphold the law, and uh, we went to the old Acropolis Diner, which you've been to many times, mm-hmm. and we, we, mm-hmm. went, we had dinner there. Totally old
0: popcorn trick
1: at the movies? No, no. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing. I really should have. I, You know, it's... <laughs>
0: It's, <laughs> I should have stuck my dick in the hole in the bottom yeah. of the
1: popcorn. Hey, man. Hey. Which I don't even understand how that would, who got the idea, how that practically works, how you, someone's going to actually practically try that. No, but I mean, I really should have made a move there because uh, I feel like I should have, but you know, I didn't have the gusto. Uh, the gusto.
0: Would have, could have, should have. Back
1: then, because I'm sure now you look back on it, she was throwing all the, uh, the bells and whistles out I at I've me. I've been, you know, and I dropped her off, and that was it. And I didn't even, like, try to get a goodnight kiss. I gave her a hug because I was trying to be that guy. And then. It's like, man, she would have been uh, going to town. We could have been. We could have had a lot of a steamy night in, her, in my car. Don't I know it, man? Don't. But, I know But so him. that was the first time I'd seen this movie, and I, and I remember that lovingly. That was a really good night. The, the whole right there and the whole experience. Uh, it was fun. We enjoyed the movie. We went back. I don't think we did anything afterward. I just took her home, and uh, and that was before we, you and I had met. We we met. That was May of '97, and we met in August of '97. Yeah. So, uh, and that was a crazy summer. You know, you have like. One your, crazy summer. One crazy, you have Mickey Blue Eyes came out that summer, which I've never seen. I saw that in the theater once. So, we, uh.
0: You just said you never saw it. And then you just said you saw it in
1: the theater. No, I, I'm sorry. I've never seen it since the theater.
0: Oh. Okay. I saw Mickey Blue Eyes. Which the I've theater. never seen, but I saw it once <laughs> at the theater. <laughs> yeah.
1: I haven't seen since the theater. And, uh, what else? A lot of, a lot of weird stuff came out that summer. Like Copland was out that summer. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that in the theater before I went to see, um. Uh, Event Horizon was out in the theater that summer, 97.
0: Yeah, Event Horizon at? was the last movie. I saw that like the day before I left for college. Yeah,
1: and I think I saw Mickey Blue Eyes. It was either Copley or Mickey Blue Eyes. And then the first weekend home, I went and saw
0: Event Horizon. And uh, yeah, I saw this movie. This was actually probably the last time I saw this movie before tonight was at the movie theater. The, um, the Fifth Element. Fifth Element. Which is what we're doing this week, The Fifth Element from 1997. Uh, my viewing of it was less romantic because I saw it with my mom. Oh, <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> and uh, that, was the last, that was the last time I saw I think I, I really think that was the last time I saw it since then. I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, I think because, which I'm sure we've mentioned before, that you and I are very big fans of the professional, mm. or as Dion likes to call it, Leon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dion goes with the original... Lulean, European Professional. Title. To me it will always be the professional. So then this was like his follow up to it. And because I love that Gary's or Luc Besson's Luc Besson's. Yeah, okay. And uh you know, you threw me off yeah. track. <laughs> oh, you didn't like the movie because of after the professional came yeah. out. Yeah, it's like I love that movie so much that when I saw this I was like uh okay. Yeah, like yeah. I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. I didn't remember not being crazy about it. Um And then you bring up Copland, which is funny because I feel like Copland. That was two weeks ago. (laughs) That was fucking two weeks ago. Uh, I remember going to the movies with my friends or hanging out with my friends. We were at. We went to the movies because we saw a poster for Copland. And I really think it was one of the last times I hung out with my high school friends. <laughs> you ever saw them alive? Yeah, kind of. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen any of my high school friends since then. Oh, since the last... We'll see you later, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> that was... It's sad, but... Sad, but true. Because <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Uh, my, my best friend Pete, when I came home from college for the summer a freshman year after freshman year between freshman year and sophomore year pete had mono Mm. and he was really my best friend and i was really mostly friends with all those other guys through pete yeah so he had mono the whole summer so it went i went a whole school year without seeing any of them and then i went the whole summer without seeing any of them and then i want another and that was it i never i never really i chuck i talked to via uh, e- we exchange emails every once in a while Chuck good old Chuck Dunham uh, who and all those guys were the movies the guys that I made movies with in high school that we've talked about before like To Kill a Ninja which captured the imagination yeah, you of said that many. last podcast
1: you said that there's like a, now there's a GoFundMe out there to, to make that into a uh, an actual
0: uh, I've had like three or four people comment uh, on, on a To G- Kill a Ninja a, a
1: George Lucas film you and know?
0: Uh, or a Chow Young fat <laughs> But I feel like uh, we went to the movies, we saw the poster for Copland, and then we went to Friendlies after, and it was one of the last times I hung out with them, and we were talking, and we got talking about movies, and we got to, like, this list of, like, what are your favorite movies kind of thing, and Chuck was like, I know it hasn't come out yet, and I haven't seen it, but I'm going to put Copland on that list based on the poster." (laughs) Because The poster had like Stallone, which we loved, had Ray Liotta, which we loved, Harvey Keitel, which we loved, De Niro, which we loved. Yeah. We're like, this, this, look at this fucking movie,
1: Robert coming Patrick's up. in there, too. There's a lot of people in that. And he went, he went like that was method acting at the time for, for Stallone. He, he gained weight for that yeah. role. Yeah, well, or,
0: that's the thing. I mean, he, he was kind of, and I'm sure we talked about a, a lot of Stallone when we did Rocky. And we'll, if we ever get to like First Blood or something, we can talk more about Stallone and, uh, his acting, because I think he's an underrated actor, personally. I think he's a really talented actor, but he got kind of roped into playing certain kinds of parts. Yeah. and uh, I,
1: I love him in Oscar. He's
0: That's why. He's great in Oscar. He's everybody great in hates First that. Blood. He's First great in Rocky. It's great in Copland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of good. Tango and Cash. You know? but so yeah, 1997, it's weird because uh, I've been reflecting on that period of my Of our lives a lot lately, even before we did Reservoir Dogs. Um, For some reason, just been thinking a lot about 20 years ago. Yeah. And then even though Reservoir Dogs was 25 years ago, during our discussion of Reservoir Dogs, we talked a lot about film school our early film school days yeah and when, when we met and and all that stuff so that it's
1: became a like a chunk <coughs> of like the beginning of the reservoir dog but it interwove itself so we kept bringing it back to reservoir dogs but it, one yeah. hand was without the other
0: yeah yeah and for us it was
1: so tied woven our, in tightly yeah, to, to. to
0: our cerebral cortex <laughs> uh so it's I, it's weird that we're doing another like movie from around a movie. Now we're doing a movie from around that time. I mean, not a movie that I look back at nostalgically from that time. Yeah. Um, but definitely a movie, like you said, that summer. I mean, it was. A, I mean, wh- and when it came out, it was. It was movie was a big deal. Yeah, they were pushing it hard. Excuse me. Um, late, I remember. <laughs> uh, good night. <laughs> yeah, good night, everybody.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember, like on MTV. You know, um, MTV was pushing like the making of stuff, and they had like a featurette on it, and they were interviewing Gary Oldman, and I was huge into Gary Oldman yeah. at the time, and he was talking about you know his prep for the movie. He had to shave his head and you know uh you know Luke Basson asked him to do it he said yes and he shaved his head and he you know had to wear rubber and all this crazy stuff you know and he was just just playing this wacky part and I know he looks
0: interesting to see like how I bet you he only worked on it for like a week I mean he's not in that much of the movie
1: yeah, I don't know And how him long... and Willis
0: don't share any scenes together.
1: Yeah, and you know, but it, I, I've always been cognizant of that at the end of the movie, when one gets onto the elevator and one gets off. Yeah. And I always thought that that was one take, but I don't know if it is now. If they never, like... Because I heard they didn't, since they didn't share any screen time together, they weren't scheduled for the same days. But to me, that always looked like one take. They get on and then he gets off. So I don't know. Movie magic. Yeah, if that, you know... It's not like the old days where you could tell it was just like a jump cut. <laughs> you know, uh... But yeah, I don't know how long he would have worked on the movie because was it's, it's just, a really weird paced movie as well. There's a lot going on in it, you know. Weird. Yeah. But I think that you can attribute a lot of that to like Luc Besson and bringing over that European kind of a style. You know, have you did you see uh, when you saw the professional? Yeah. Uh, I, remember, I remember going back and watching La Femme Nikita, the movie. Yeah. And then that became, I think, while we were still in high school, right? That became like a USA. Uh, like TV show, remember? Maybe. But then there was that remake
0: with Bridget Fonda?
1: Yes. They remade it which into Point of No Return, which was, which was pretty good. I remember that. And then, uh, but I remember seeing La Femme Nikita first because, I don't know. I don't remember what which one was first, but I have, I have a feeling of seeing that one first. But then I remember they made a series about it. Yeah, yeah. That was on for quite a while. That, that, yeah. had I remember a good run. it was
0: on through college, but it definitely, when we were in college. Because yeah. What's-Her-Face was like a big deal. And speaking of... Sean Connery, didn't that girl go on to be in the uh, Gentleman? League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? (laughs) Yeah, wasn't she like the vampire chick? Oh, okay. I don't know. Uh, With Sean Connery. I love that uh,
1: book but I only saw the movie once because I think it was very good. I think I saw that at the movie theater as well.
0: But uh, yeah, I I saw La Femme Nikita. I also saw Subway. Yeah. um, Because on top of liking the professional and then liking Luke Basson as we all know I'm one of the world's largest Christopher Lambert fans. Yes, yes. <laughs> so uh when you when you're not
1: contractually obligated to say 21 Jump Street <laughs> you say Christopher Lambert.
0: <laughs> but we just we just did you you contractually
1: obligated you to say that. You
0: just said 21 Jump Street so we I don't need to say it now no, in I, the cast because you've already brought it up. Exactly. Because, uh, on my like in my obituary it'll be like the lover of Twenty One Jump Street. He loved Twenty One Jump Street and Christopher Lambert yeah. and Rocky. Yeah,
1: mine's Cagney and Lacey. Odd. I get residuals <laughs> from that one. Uh, so yeah. So but boy, that, yeah. So uh, professional. Was fucking... he the first one? To see, was that your first um, opening to uh, as I as I unbutton my shirt? It's <laughs> uh,
0: getting hot in here. Yeah,
1: my my parents still got the radiator on or the, the heater they don't on. They want to turn that A-
0: AC on until uh,
1: until June. Yeah,
0: they're they're like it's gonna get cold again. <laughs> So they t- <laughs> don't want to waste the the energy. Uh, the so that
1: I feel like that was my first exposure to. Lisa I think I had, the seen,
0: I had seen, I had seen the Point of No Return remake. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Point of No Return. I think I had seen that before the Professional, but didn't know it was a remake. Uh, Did that then, come out before the Professional? I
1: believe so. Hmm,
0: hmm. Do we have anybody? That's a good. That's a good uh, question. Anybody know there? out there?
1: Because he certainly has this, uh, I mean, he had nothing really to do that I know of with the remake of La Femme Nikita, except maybe he produced it or something. Oh, I, um, I doubt he
0: had anything to do with it other than probably like story by or yeah. based on a.
1: But I know Jean Renault is in La Femme Nikita. He plays the, uh, in the yeah. remake, the Harvey Keitel role, the cleaner.
0: Well, I remember seeing La Femme Nikita. That was 1993. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what year was the professional? I want to say ninety four, right? That was ninety four, yeah. Yeah, and this is ninety seven. So I had seen that, or maybe not And then fine. I saw the professional. Then went back and watched La Femme Nikita because you know that was the one that everybody talked about. Yeah. And then I remember watching La Femme Nikita and be like, "Hey, this is that fucking movie with Bridget Fonda and yeah, Harvey yeah. Keitel," um, and being like, "Oh, like this—that was an original. That was like an American remake of this movie because not knowing that going into it." Yeah. And then, uh, I guess I said I had seen Subway. Um, that was a Lambert movie. That he and that did. was yeah, that was the movie with Lambert that he did. And uh, and then and then this and then the Fifth Element. I mean, I've since become a I'm a real admirer of his his work. Anyway, what has he done after this? I mean, he's he's written and produced a lot of really great stuff. Probably even more than he's directed. Like he did the he wrote and produced the Transporter movies. Oh yeah, that's true. Unleashed he did. with uh, Jet Li, and uh... which I think is one of the best non Asian oh, pr- production martial arts movies. I met mean, what's his of face? All time? When he was yeah, Bob that. Hoskins. Bob Hoskins, which is a and, great story. Will hold. <laughs> <laughs> we brought it up. We posted the pictures. So. Yeah, we posted the picture? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know
1: if we put. Po- I, I don't remember when post- we brought it up, but uh, yeah, we were holding that story for when we do a Bob Hoskins movie. When we do Mario Brothers.
0: Yeah, uh, and uh, or a prayer for the dying. So Unleashed. I fucking loved Unleashed. I thought that like the fight scenes in that movie were so badass. Jet Li was such a. It was such a unique style of martial arts for Jet Li because he was like an animal in it. So it was really cool to see. Uh, I wouldn't say like I'm a closeted like martial arts movies fan but I've always been but I'm also not a die hard one yeah. but I've always had a real appreciation for martial arts it's movies it's interesting that
1: trend that you had like in the late 90s into the 2000s where you had like The Kiss of the Dragon you had like all those Chow Young Fat and Jet Li movies that like were just greenlit over here with maybe John Woo related you know, you had Jackie Chan doing his thing, but you yeah. had like those guys coming no, Jack, over. Well, and doing yeah, like, like Rumble in
0: the Bronx. Yeah, that was, was released, and then that became like this weird phenomenon where everybody was like, "Oh yeah, like there's this guy, yeah, who's been making movies forever, For years, for thirty years, <laughs> Who does already. all his own stunts." You and know? then,
1: but it was like big when like you have Jet Li show up like in Lethal Weapon Four. Yeah, well, that was know? like his. You that know? was
0: let's bring Jet Li over to do yeah. that, and then he got movies greenlit. Yeah. After that, there was like a big. You're right. There was like this weird influx of
1: of like there were American made movies, but they yeah. were like you know bringing these guys like either Chow Young Fat who was yeah who well try, who came
0: to came and did movies playing characters like he played in China, but they're like no no you're Asian you have to learn martial arts yeah he's like I don't want to learn <laughs> martial arts <I laughs> he's like but I'm not guys. a martial arts guy yeah him. I'm we don't Bruce care. Willis in Asia. <laughs> well, did you guys see that? Uh, but yeah, so Jet so yeah, like I've always kind of I mean it probably started with. You know, growing up in the 80s and having, you know, guys like Chuck Norris and and Van Damme and Steven Seagal and and that stuff. And then that just kind of led to an appreciation for it going back, falling in love with Bruce Lee when I was in high school. Yeah. And then, you know, getting into Jackie Chan and Jet Li and stuff. But Unleashed is great. And then he wrote and produced one of my favorite movies of all time. Basson. Taken. Yes, you love Taken. (laughs) I love that movie. Yeah. Did he do the others too? Uh, I'm sh- I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he probably has producer credit, and I, but I don't know if he wrote the It's funny without. because
1: I'm sure that we can go back and source it. That's not the original of, a, of that genre, but Taken, kind of like, it's like what we just said with those martial arts yeah. movies from the early 2000s, Taken begot it entire, everybody had to do that role, With John yeah, yeah. Wick is now doing it, but like even stuff that was on, in comic book form that might have been translated, you had Sean Penn do a movie <clears> like that, you had... Uh, Even freaking Liam Neeson do another movie that wasn't even the take. He did like five of them. um and he's—it's funny to see his transformation of being yeah. like a leading man to like a you know being he's like kind of getting older,
0: to you know, or being, being an like a star. yeah
1: like a Jedi you know, and then all of a sudden now he's like in his late fifties and he's suddenly like a action you know, yeah
0: well it was I mean and I think jumping out of cars I think eventually it would be fun for us to do something like Taken yeah. like something that current and so because I love that movie so much it would I think we'd have a really fun discussion with it so I don't want to get too much into it but what I will say about it was it was like like brilliant casting because he does seem like a dad, like he seems like an every guy, every man. Hmm. So he's it, almost cast against type, which I think makes that role work really well. Like you can, if it was someone like Stallone, like a muscled out Stallone, it, it wouldn't have the same kind of impact. And the other thing I'll say about it is uh, aside from special, Retrospective screenings of movies or premiere type things that I've been to, uh, taking those out of the equation, just on a sh- pure, a sheer going to a movie on a whim or on a weeknight or a Sunday or Saturday, just going to the movie theater. I don't recall an audience applauding after a movie since Rocky Five. When I saw Rocky Five in the theater, people applauded after and Rocky Five. After Rocky Five, because it had ended. Or I saw it. it was the no. Day, I mean, we were in it. Philadelphia, and it yeah. was still. It was you know, Rocky. You can say a lot of shit about Rocky Five, but there's uh, by the end
1: there when they're fighting in the streets, people are, yeah, oh,
0: yeah, yeah, We'll yeah. yeah. move around, and uh, but at the end of Taken, people fucking applauded. That's wow. how like much of an impact that movie made. And did you see it opening night or no? I saw it. I remember seeing it on a complete was it like at noon like with all the elderly people. <laughs> it was like a Sunday night and I just didn't have anything to do. I was by myself. I was just sitting around the apartment. I was like and as Dion knows like my one of my favorite things to do in the world is go to the movie theater. Yeah. And I will go see anything I would say any time, but I try to avoid the really busy times. Yeah. So I would, not any time. But I, I usually go in the morning. But it was like a Sunday night. I didn't have anything to do. And I was like, I'm just going to walk over to the movie theater and see what's playing. Because that's my other thing. It's like I don't look online to see what time the movie's playing. I just walk over. And whatever the next movie is, I'll go see. And I've been doing that since we were in college. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I just walked over to the Lincoln Center AMC movie theater in Lincoln Center. And they put it in the big theater, which had like a balcony, and I sat in the balcony, and I just I just saw that movie because it was the next movie playing, and I just fucking loved it. You saw it by and, yourself? Yeah, saw it by myself. But it was a pretty. It was maybe it was still it might have been opening weekend or close to it because there was still a pretty substantial crowd, even though it was a Sunday night. I mean, it wasn't packed, but I remember when it ended. The whole fucking theater applauded. Mm. And I was like, that's fucking awesome. And this this was, a, that was, a, we were on a whole fucking Taken tangent. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing t- Taken. this pulling <laughs> <today laughs> an Audible. Before, yeah, we're doing Taken from 2008.
1: Or but nine. one
0: thing I will say uh, before we move on, which is the second thing I said, I will say, uh, there was all this thing about when that, Wolf, that first Wolverine movie came out. And they blamed the fact that it... The Origins one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the reason why it did so poorly was because it leaked online. Yeah. Like, everybody watched it, so nobody went to go see it. Uh, That was one of them. Fucking Taken was leaked online, like, a year before it came out. And everybody had fucking... them. Everybody that would download movies on a regular basis and watch movies that way had seen it. And it was a fucking sleeper hit. And the reason why was because it was fucking awesome. Yeah. You can't blame the fact that it got leaked on the reason why it doesn't do well. Because Taken is a perfect example. You know, if anything, maybe it helped. Because people had seen it and been like, no, this movie's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, word of mouth got around. Whereas, say, you know, I'm not going to. You know, uh, I'm not going to critique the Wolverine movie, but I don't... In my opinion, it's not as strong as Taken. Yeah. And I think that's...
1: And it's such an old like, idea Taken. Like I said, I'm sure...
0: Oh, yeah. Like, I you, mean...
1: You know, there's... like I'm sure Eastwood, Charlie Bronson, each even John Wayne as a Western... You know, the Searchers is like Taken,
0: where they take... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, go, it's, it's, it's not particularly. A, a, it's just like a, a groundbreaking original. It's idea. how they do it, and you know, and it it's like, just it was done really well. I think it's a fucking. I think that script is as tight as a,
1: a monkey's uncle.
0: <laughs> it <a> monkey. <laughs> is tight. That is a fucking tight script. Yeah, uh, and it has all the elements that we always talk about. How and I love
1: the, Famke jansen
0: Things I love about
1: she's another one who doesn't age. Yeah, yeah. Famicom Jansen is like, you know, she's like, what, 70 now? She's <laughs> looking like she's 20? So Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, anyway. Luke Besson, he's done a lot of different things. So I forgot right, he Luke did Besson the transporter. is great. I forgot he did the transporter movies, and he has a certain style. I remember when The Professional came out, like that, you know, um, you could tell it was kind of foreign by how things were present- presented in the montages. I remember, like, for me, the best example of near, like, the climax of The Professional when, like... Jean Renault is barricading himself in the apartment, and Gary yeah. Oldman has everybody like, yeah. get ready to, to to go in. Like, there's a there's a shot of like them bringing like a fifty cal out of like the hallway, and they have like the uh, the thing on the front of it, the grenade that's going to open the door. And there's like a crescendo in the music, and it's like, yeah, it's yeah. his, and it's very European for me, like this even yeah. the style of music how it's done, and you know, Go, Matilda! It's all very. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, it definitely has a a different sensibility than we were used to seeing at that time, which I think is another reason why that movie stood out, both stylistically but also, um, which we'll we'll, we'll do that movie at some point for sure, The Professional, but uh, also uh, the style of storytelling and the... uh, Uh, Mise-en-scene? Well, like the emotional... Like, content to it yeah. you know it was not in a typical American you know the way the story that's being told was not an American story yeah yeah you know it's like nobody like like Scorsese never would have told that story no and if he did tell if he got that script it would he would have told it in a completely different way yeah uh, but there was a very you're right there's a very foreign feel not in just the the style of cinematic storytelling but I feel like in the script and the na- and just in the narrative is very atypical of what w- we were getting a lot of uh, as mu- mu- movie viewers in the in the mid-90s. Yeah. I mean, last time we talked a lot about that independent boom of the early 90s. <clears throat> so things were kind of going that way, and I think that's why a movie like The Professional could do so well. Because no, it was
1: out there and it was not... Because
0: we were home. coming... Up, as an audience, we were being conditioned... With things like Reservoir Dogs, and then Pulp Fiction, and then uh, you know even the non-Quentin Tarantino stuff, but yeah. like the Jim Jarmusch stuff that was coming out around that time, and um, it was an interesting time for cinema. And, and I think the professional, you know, wasn't it, it? I think it struck a chord because, as a movie viewing odd, aud- you know, audience, we were ready for it
1: um it's a, certainly a leap too to get a guy like jean renault to be the lead in the movie although yeah. and you really need the gary ullman character i think he has a lot to to say that, that movie was a yeah. success and it's like he doesn't like his performance in this movie the fifth element gary ullman but i don't think he, he says hates he, his performance <laughs> in the professional yeah and the, the, both these movies he doesn't like his performances in, and these could be interpreted a lot of people will say the professional is just as much as this movie or just and i don't the topic you know and
0: i don't care what anybody says to me it's the best <coughs> Natalie Portman has ever been in a movie um
1: this the, the professional, the professional yeah, yeah yeah, and that's maybe your first role too, it was right? her first thing and that's, yeah, she's yeah.
0: so good in it she's so hot <laughs>
1: <laughs> you said that I didn't I'm say just that. kidding uh it's just like uh, Alyssa Milano in Commando uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> when you were fucking getting you get a little excited about the girl never in its story too was
1: well, that really? what's her face? because I remember because you like, know it's so because it's weird you have these memories of when you're that age yeah and,
0: because you're you, yeah. you well not she, Natalie Portman because no, we were a little too old yeah, for that but, but when like, you're little you like have I used to think
1: them. what's her face was so hot uh, Alessa Milano and Commando and then you don't see it for 20 years you come back to me you're like
0: whoa she's eight she's <laughs> a little girl yeah you movie. forget
1: because you were a little kid when you had those feelings and you, yeah, you, you yeah. shut that door so what's her face, that high ass girl from uh, from um, Never Ending story?" you realize, oh she's not <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> you really start thinking about like, what the hell is going on in my
0: life? But so uh, Luke Besson follows up the professional with the, the Fifth, fifth element, element, which was a script that he started writing when he was sixteen, yeah, back yeah. in the '70s.
1: Yeah, and it was I guess it was he had a real um, like um uh lonely childhood to to a certain extent so he said that just uh, he had this idea of this world and this this story so he would just to pass the boredom and wherever he grew up he would just i guess fill out this story uh slowly but surely and that would give him something to do and then he had it that was yeah when he was about 16 or so and then it, he didn't do it until he was 38 which is kind of weird it's our age so Yeah. Uh, now uh that's when he finally got to shoot the movie and uh for years he was trying to get it made but he couldn't get it made and i guess he developed it to like a point where he had like over 400 pages yeah um and it was kind of a um it was it was kind of a different idea at the time from uh with the the story we know now where it's the um originally it was a a completely different name uh his name uh Corbin Dallas's name was, uh, Zateman Boleros, and it was about a nobody, he was in, he was the nobody, and he was in, uh, uh a, worked in a rocket ship factory, and he wins a trip to Club Med Resort on a different planet, and then that's where he meets Lilo, a, a girl, a sand girl, who was a, uh, a real beautiful girl, but she was 2,000 years old, and that was the basic premise of the original plot of the film, and, uh, he wanted to get it done, but then no one would... I guess it was too much money. They couldn't figure out how you're going to do this for what you want and all that, so...
0: Yeah. Well, he started developing it in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. as a... Actually, actually, like, they were going to make it. Yeah. And and, um, and there's a lot of what-if game aspects to to that version of it.
1: Yeah, he, he brings on to help him for, for the uh, production design and, like, the art. He brings on... Um, Jean-Mobius Godard and Jean-Claude uh, m-
0: eh, Miserys. <laughs> I'm gonna say, probably saying that wrong. Yeah, but yeah. I was trying to think who are co- who are F- famous European comic book artists.
1: Yeah, and we have talked about uh, Mobius, Jean-Mobius Godard because in the uh, Star Wars Christmas special he aided in the Uh, whatchamacallit Boba Fett sequence Yeah. and I remember when we watched that I gotta go back and listen but I was saying like that world in that little cartoon it's like it's very Judge Dredd it's very Robocop and I think it said it's very fifth element like that you know the apartment complex and all that and I absolutely am fascinated with that idea of that that art in that kind of a world especially in the 80s you had a lot of stuff that in comic book form certainly and then in movies you were getting stuff that looked like that and I love the idea of like what because uh, it's it's a weird it's a it's a departure where it's not like it's kind of like a Blade Runner in, in, but Blade Runner is so dark and like brooding where this is like I think it was an active thing where. It, Basan wanted to have it be a sci fi movie that was very bright and light. Nothing was in the dark to hide anything. Yeah. But I love the idea of having, like, say, 20th century architecture, and then you just build up on it, whatever the future is. Yeah, it just gets higher. Yeah, and it gets, you know, and just stuff like, I guess that would kind of, what you would think would happen, as opposed to, like, having a world in the future, which is completely foreign to you, like, if you see, like, an alien movie
0: or yeah. something. Well, um, I mean, yeah, because if you think about, I mean, even if you think about the history of a city like New York. Yeah, it just builds up on it. Where so. it's like, it's just more people, like, there's no, you you can't build outward. Yeah, there's nowhere else to go. We're on an island, so it's just like you can't just keep on adding land. Although they did, yeah, they know, added land, a shitload
1: of land, in the with uh, garbage in yeah. the
0: battery area, of New which York. gave
1: them like a shitload, like at least like twenty or thirty more blocks. Yeah, uh, yeah, but way.
0: but you know, I guess so. Technically, you could. I mean, we yeah. could just eventually get rid of the Hudson and connect over to Jersey, but and you see that in the long shot when the when the. Um, the big uh, cruise
1: liner ship that's taking them to the, to, to the planet, when they take off and leave New York, you can see that it's been built out to, like, the Statue of Liberty. Like yeah, In that yeah. long shot. That, that for 300 years in the future, that's but what they have done. But the
0: history of New York is as the population is growing, they've just been building the buildings taller to accommodate for the people. Yeah. So it makes sense that, you know, 300 years from now, 250 years, or I guess it's not, like, 200 years from now. Since with the, it was 300 years from now in 1914. 14, yeah, when so, the movie starts. <laughs> 200 years from now, you could see that buildings will just start getting taller and taller.
1: Yeah, and it's a beautiful architectural style that they based it on. There's this uh, movement called the um, uh, Metabolist um, kind of movement, and it's this Japanese idea, which never was really put in practically, but I find it fascinating where they kind of make buildings kind of look like organically. You know, and they like some look like hives and stuff like that. And there was another designer they built upon this Antonio Saint um, Elia, which uh, was from the 1910s. And he only really sketched and uh, did schematics for buildings. Nothing is really practical. He didn't really ever put anything like physically down. But if you look at his sketches from 1910s, it's very weird to look at like he, he kind of forethought a lot of the buildings you see today like the styles we have now. And I love the idea of kind of accommodating, like, um, uh, you know, um, necessity and in logic into stuff in, 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 in place of stylization, like a lot of, like, you know, like they had sea cities or they had um, designs, the um, Metabolist movement, where it's like they, uh, they'd say make a city that's a wall, and on one side of the wall is where people live, the other side of the wall is the commerce and work where you'd work, and the middle of the wall is like transportation. Mm-hmm. You know, and that you know, so I love how in the future, in 200, 300 years in the future, how are we going to be addressing like you know population overflow or, or you know you need for architecture? And their ideas were well, you'd build out over the water, or you'd build sea cities yeah. where, you know, uh, it'd be a, it'd be a floating island. They had one called a water city where it'd be like a floating, you know, say I think it was like five hundred meters uh, in diameter, a concrete slab, and on top of be agriculture. And the bottom into the water would be where people lived and commerce in the in the in the where you worked. And this thing was free-floating, so it didn't really have to be part of a certain country. You can just yeah. go from one country to the other and get kind of hooked up. And you know, so I think in the future, you know, you're going to see some of that kind of because you know, at one point the land's going to end. You know, physically you can't build, and that's the idea here, where you just build up and up. And it's funny that you know, when when you when they open the windows in these movies and you look down, like, you know, they're like. Jesus, like you know, yeah. thousands There's of like feet a cloud, up. Right? Yeah, you know, it, it's 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 fog. a fog. It's such a, uh, a, a crazy idea, and I just love all that the technology and how it looks. And that was one of the alluring things that I really enjoyed about this movie when I saw it was the the whole world that is presented in in the future there with the taxi cabs and but it's so it, but it's still kind of connected to us in that in in the late '90s where kind of has it's not so far removed that it's just completely foreign to us you have elements of like it's a yellow cab and it kind of looks retro and it flies or you know the the uh you know you have tankers and and i like the idea too that in this movie that it's very much uh it's you get the it's the future doesn't mean it's clean i like that it's dirty it's urban decay it's just pollution i love all that idea that like you know
0: well yeah i mean i think in a in a weird way it's a very subtle theme of the movie. You know, when we think of science fiction, especially when we're addressing science fiction that takes place in the future. Yeah. It's all, you know, all art is a uh all art is you know, uh a statement of what's going on in the time when it's made. You know, uh, it's it's influenced by that. So the how a fu- how the future is depicted in si- in a science fiction film or in a book, you know, it it tells you a lot about what's going on at the time that it's made or written. And this was written over, you know, decades. Uh, and so, you know, we have a lot of futuristic themes of, like, fear of technology, which is like a very Frankenstein, like, we have to beware of what we create and we have to be responsible for it because we keep on building machines and technology could take over a la Terminator yeah. or RoboCop or stuff like that. So that's a very common theme. Now that theme doesn't really exist in this movie, and so the, in a, in a weird way, it's refreshing because it's it's not playing on a lot of the same themes that we're used to uh, in technology. I mean, even Blade Runner to a certain extent is is this idea of the replicants and and uh, having to like atone for the technology we've created. That's yeah, very, very much like
1: a Frankenstein. Kind yeah, of you yeah. Create this life, and then you just you, you you force it out, and then they have to, and then it's their fault that they're alive. But
0: the yeah, but in a very, but this movie doesn't really involve too much of that. It's, um, I mean, there's there's a lot of very subtle themes going on. You, you could, you know, it, in, in a way, it, it's it in a very subtle, like not pushing it in your face this idea of the overpopulation, the pollution, we see the the garbage piled up.
1: That was a theme that they said that they cut out of the movie, that there was, throughout the movie, there was a garbage strike, which is very New York City. Cause yeah. in the 70s, we talk about that, there was a garbage, you know, that when Ford said, you know, uh, we're not bailing you out, and the, the garbage, they weren't yeah. getting paid, the garbage men, the garbage is piled up. So that's the reason why when they go to the airport, There's this huge pile of trash because no one's picking the
0: trash up. But I mean, so there's elements of it. And I think and I love that it's not like in your face. It's there. And if you're looking for that kind of thing. And
1: it's like institutionalized, too. And I I found in this viewing of the movie that it's and I think it's because of the European uh, touch in the casting that whoever you represent that, that are like part of the institution or whatever, like the cops or the people, they're all like like ugly people you know, pockmark faced or whatever, like they, they seem highly realistic to me in their role of being like, they're stuck in the bureaucracy with the red tape. You get that or you get like these pretty boys, like these like, like French or European, like young guys that like, you know, really good looking, you know, um, clean shaven and stuff. So there's a real weird dichotomy there. But I was, I liked the, it was almost like the hypocrisy of all these, like it's, you know, people. It's so institutionalized that people are just used to the bureaucracy of it all, with yeah, uh, yeah. stuff going on, and like the like the scene with the cops getting McDonald's, and they're not going to go over spawn because you know it's just something like you could take that scene and put it like in 1974 and put that like you know in, in a black and white like up in the Bronx, like I'm going to you know finish my <laughs> coffee. You know, it's <laughs> well, yeah, it's I the mean, same kind of a, you know it, it just transcends it to the time, but yeah, but, but I liked how you know a lot of the. Actors he got to play backgrounds in this aren't you wouldn't be your first choices for they just have unique faces. Yeah. yeah. Some of them they're not good looking, you know, and, and maybe that's a comment on like the future of being like you know it's a it's kind of a gritty, dirty kind of a sure. place, you know. Sure. If you don't, you know, try to fix what we're doing now environmentally.
0: Yeah, but theme, but like thematically, there's a lot of. It. I mean, he's he's said, but Bassan has said that this movie's not big on themes. But I think there are. There's. It's like sprinkled throughout. I mean, of course, she had the big theme at the end, which we'll, yeah, you know, the Swift element. which we'll get to. But there's a lot of like nice subtle little things, like what well, this isn't even that subtle. I mean, it's pretty in your face, but it's a very short thing, which is Gary Oldman's character basically. You know, he's in the, he's in the technology business and. He's pointing out that it breaks the glass, then these machines come and everything. But then he chokes on a cherry. Yeah, yeah. And this idea of like, you, you know, and Ian Holm has to be there to... If he if he wasn't there to, to slap on the back of the cherry out of his throat, then he would die. It's this idea of you'll never be... You can never be like completely dependent on technology. Yeah. Because someday it's going to
1: falter. (laughs) You you know, know, like there's only so much. There's going to, you know, like there's
0: only so much technology can do, which is, it's a pretty blatant scene, but in a way that's, like I said, it's very short and it makes a very big statement in a very small scene.
1: Which is also something I don't think goes um, unnoticed by him, the character, too. He's kind of like upset about the whole thing that he's kind of based his whole. His wealth, yeah. his, his and he's showing off. professional life on, you know, he's making money on technology or whatever. But then something as small as that, he can't get around without having someone help him. Yeah, yeah. you're know, right. He's got all these little buzzards and things, that little, little creature. It's hilarious that little guy. <laughs> you know, and then and then when he at the end of the scene when he when he, he takes Ian Holmes out. He, if you see him walk before, the, you see the dissolve. He looks at the thing and he kind of Ugh, and he kind of walks around it. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and he in the, he doesn't show up until like what a half hour forty minutes into the movie. Yeah, you get introduced to him. I and mean,
0: I don't even think we see his face the first time we see him. I think his back to the camera. Yeah, he's
1: walk because he's oh yeah. You see him when he's when initially yeah he makes a phone call and he wants to, he he's uh, I forget what he says on the phone call. But then when you first see him, he's, you don't see him again. Yeah, his back and that's when he lays off all these workers, which I didn't realize until this performance that he's 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 the guy says lay off. We need to lay off five hundred thousand. He's like lay off a million. He doesn't care, and it it goes to that old arcane, which I'm kind of personally sick of. Like the, it's the evil capitalist who's the you know. Sure. I'd love to see someone, and they've tried with like Atlas Shrugged, and it doesn't work. But I'd love to see an idea where it's not just the mean old rich guy doing it all, but it's that idea. He's like, fire a million, I don't care, and that's. Then he ends up firing. That's the next scene. Corbin Dallas. He gets the he gets a pink slip in his his little you know remember the old yeah, the, yeah. The, the old bank things with the, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get yeah, the thing the and that was tubes. yeah and even though they don't share any scenes together and they don't even know of each other's existence it's interesting that they do end up commenting on each other
0: or I will say a very interesting juxtaposition is you know we just watched we watched this movie tonight we're doing the podcast but yesterday I watched The Founder with Michael Keaton about Ray Kroc Oh, the McDonald's guy. And the McDonald's. I want to see that, yeah. (laughs) And uh it was interesting to see like his portrayal of Ray Kroc and then watch like uh Gary Oldman's uh Character in this movie. Yeah. There's definitely like, there are similarities. I of, mean, this idea of an
1: entrepreneur of, or a yeah. guy that goes out. But how would, but is, is Keaton's performance kind of make him be like a dick or is he over, or I, more like a, is he supposed to be like a guy who started a good business
0: or? I think that most people would, and I think Keaton himself would say that they would view his performance in that character as being pretty ruthless yeah. and a bit of an asshole. I didn't read it as much that way. I read it more as there's like you know how movies, especially biopics, have then like the little epilogue during the credits where they're like they show pictures of the real people and they tell you what happened after the movie. To me, that's where it becomes clear that Ray Kroc was a bit of a fucking asshole. (laughs) Really, in the context of the movie, he 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 was it was he was a businessman, and I don't really fault a guy for that. I mean, he could have maybe approached things better, Uh, but. I didn't think he was that big of a dick. When you find out, like, the truth of the aftermath of what happened after the movie, you're like, yeah, that's kind of fucking shitty. But he is a very driven businessman. And would McDonald's not be where it is today without him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, like that's, you know, as, for as much as, You want you could fault a guy for that, like we wouldn't have McDonald's.
1: That's weird because you think at that, I mean, which
0: is, yeah, obviously very prominent. Well, I like that
1: idea because in this movie, uh, I'll finish my point in a second. But I like in this movie, it doesn't seem to me like it's product placement to me as more of a like like, statement. It's just that, like you know, McDonald's has survived, and we're going to have the consumerism. Trillion yeah, serve. It's so yeah, and it's like that kind of an aspect of it as opposed to that. It's not like hey We're having a Pepsi, you know It's just that Hey, I mean, in the future there are things that we remember like a McDonald's yeah, survives yeah. or whatever 300 years into the future I it, it is an interesting aspect you see that stories about entrepreneurs or people like even people who have a burning inside them to be an artist or uh, either be like an actor or a musician or whatever that they have that kind of, you know, they ruin marriages. Their family life isn't good. They may not be the best friend or to relatives or people because they have that drive, and you know, they end up being huge successes. Like you know, you talk about um, what's his face from April, you know, and they say Steve he was, Josh. yeah, he was kind of a dick because they have this singular vision, and if you get in their way, you know, well, I, this, you in know, a way, it's it's recipe for. Success. I don't know if that's an I mean, excuse, you know. Ex- at the same time, too, I'm sure you can find you know tons of people who have just as much of a success but they've done it the other way where they looked out for people but it does seem to be like a common theme with you know with that and i don't know you take it to this movie i mean he's a little extreme here uh, yeah yeah Olmans you know, performance but there's
0: like you know the reason why it was interesting was obviously this idea of a driven uh businessman uh you know uh with kind of tunnel vision and, and without much of a care of everybody else around them just to but then there's also this like theatricality that yeah. between the two parts of like michael keaton playing ray crock and you know ray Kroc was like a barnum and bailey you know like a t uh, pt barnum type yeah, you yeah, know yeah, like he was a showman yeah yeah uh and and Got Alden's character, like so many characters, especially around that time, is kind of larger than time. life. And uh, he has that, like, that Texan, like, Southern yeah, you know, draw, well, <laughs> to which is kind of interesting. When I was and,
1: growing up, I mean, I was, uh, you know, we talked about on Wayne's World, I was a big Saturday Night Live fan. So I was watching, you know, I, I remember watching the, the I was in, that I think, uh, when Bush Sr.'s re-election and Clinton coming in, I was actually watching the campaign and I remember watching, like, you know, Uh, Clinton doing speeches and debates and stuff like that at the time, probably because I was seeing it on Center Live. So I was like, oh, let me watch what they're parroting. So I remember watching aspects of that. And a big part of that campaign, for people who don't remember, you had uh, Bush Sr. running for re-election, you had Bill Clinton, and you had this third person, Ross Perot, who ran as an independent. And they say that if Ross Perot didn't run, uh, Bush Sr. could have been re-elected. But because it split the ticket, uh, votes went... for the third party person that it got Clinton elected and that's become the model of people saying like if you're going to run it as an independent you're going to screw whoever you're running that was the idea with Bernie Sanders running against Clinton uh, this year or whatever and this character, Ross Perot, was this guy who I used to have an impression of. I used to you know, he's, yeah, he'd yeah, be yeah. like, you know, uh, you know, here's the deal. Say he talks like this. And he's just, you know, I, I I don't like it until I can touch it, love it, suck it, eat it. You know, and, he, and he'd talk like that. And, and Oldman says, like, that was one of the direct references. He, yeah. he developed the Texan kind of draw. His character was talking like this little crazy guy, Ross Perot, who was ancient when he ran for election, and he's still alive now, so I don't know how old he is, but he was <laughs> he's like now. You know, And he was like a short little guy with huge glasses, you know, he yeah. had those big 80s, 90s, you know, that, that like when you look at them, they're like, um, they weren't thick, but, yeah. you know, his eyes were huge. Like, he had magnifying yeah, yeah. glasses. You know, he was one of those <laughs> kind of guys. You know, and, and yeah. uh, you know, he was very polarizing at the time. People loved him and other people didn't care for him. But it was kind of like giving America a fresh look. Kind of, I guess you can equate it, kind of what Bernie Sanders was doing now. Yeah. You know? And so it's funny to see uh, Oldman go and, you know, kind of like lampoon that and do add that into this character. And we've talked about Oldman before where he's done... He's in Chattahoochee, where he's uh, someone from Tennessee. Uh, I think he's Tennessee in that movie. He played Oswald in JFK, where he's from down south, and he has various Texas or Southern accents that aren't the same. And then you get in this movie, and it's a completely different accent yeah, you know, yeah. for him. And he says he only took this movie because um, he had done the professionally and he kind of he owed Luciana a favor, and at the same time he was getting his own piece, nail by mouth, done. And he needed financing, so he kind of agreed to. Well,
0: Luke, I think it was, I mean, he basically says that, like, he can't stomach this movie yeah, and that he was really just him. He the favor financing. was that Luc Basson produced Now by Mouth. Now by Mouth he, which was his movie so it was like it was kind of like quick pro quo. Yeah he didn't even uh um, <laughs> bartering. He's like okay I'll do this because you're helping me with my movie. Yeah
1: he didn't even read the script of this you know and then like he's that's I remember you know like I said going back to like in the 90s watching MTV he's like you know I had to shave my head again and I had to wear rubber you know and he's like all yeah. oh, like, the, the the party got into it. and he doesn't have a sizable role in this but I think just for me personally, like The Professional. Like, without um, uh, him in The Professional as well as him in this movie, these movies wouldn't be... I mean, I, I do think that other people bring performances in this movie that kind of hold it up a little better, but he he isn't the linchpin in this movie, but he does add, like, a, a, a great
0: uh, uh, section of the performances here. Well, yeah, I mean, you and I have been fans of his, you know, forever. I mean, he's... He's and he an amazing... seems to shit on a
1: lot of those roles in that time because he was having a lot of family issues and personal problems with alcoholism and stuff. So I also, a lot of those you know, he... and
0: uh, he I can I can see him being a guy that's very critical of his performances too. You know, I mean, yeah. I think that's part of it. I mean, I think if you're gonna be that talented, if you're an artist who's that talented, I don't think I don't think many artists that can be as talented as he are in whatever medium they're working in can be that great without being critical of themselves. Yeah. Because I think there's a, there is a drive in, like, dissatisfaction uh, that probably drives a lot of them. And and so I'm not surprised that he would watch something like The Professional and be like, Pff, like, I'm just chewing up scenery. Yeah, Like, yeah. I can't believe how over the fucking top I am that's awful. Yeah. Or this movie. I, I can see it. I mean, because... I mean, often, especially with artists, th- their worst critics are themselves.
1: Yeah. And I, it, I wonder if that goes into art, what we were just talking about, like, success. And that's how yeah. people are cutthroat because they are, you know, whatever themselves, how they perceive themselves versus how they're trying to succeed in life. Yeah. You know? Um, and he plays Sean uh, ba- Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. I think his name is, this movie.
0: Yeah.
1: And... uh it's just such a crazy. It's such a crazy world. This paints and and uh, they say that also that the other guy that they um, that they along with uh, Mobius, the other guy Jean Claude uh, Meredes, I think is he he. I think it was him who come up with this uh, comic or story called the Valerian. That they say that Lucas supposedly took a lot of from Star Wars. There's there's this legendary yeah thing, and then that. Uh, and that's the, one of the reasons why I guess um, one of the allures that Luc Besson went to talk to this guy and said to him, um, you know, I want you to uh, to do the, the conceptual work here on this movie. Because he hired these two guys uh, before he even had the... Uh, this was Greenlit to do, and he just had them do production work on it. So they basically... Uh, because they had uh, these really popular French comic books at the time. Called, which she
0: was a fan of. Yeah, and he admittedly he grew, up, grew up reading them, and and they played a very big inspiration uh, in, the, in the movie itself, which when
1: he was we writing it. We see come out in Star Wars the, the Christmas uh, the holiday special, yeah. which we covered in December, and then that went on at the same time. They also did uh, heavy metal at the same time. These guys, yeah, and that look is is something that you know, like I said, that they say that. Uh, there is rumor that Lucas stole that a little bit for like how Darth Vader looks and certain elements of Star Wars. But so they, these guys signed on and he had them design all kinds of stuff. And basically their vehicles, spaceships, the, the buildings, the, the aliens were all basically off these guys' designs. But then what happens is when they, they disband because he can't get financing, he goes on and do, well, he does something and then yeah. he does Yeah, so basically, you know,
0: he's getting ready to make the movie in 1992. yeah. And that's when he hires these guys, as well as uh, I don't know if uh, Gautier ends up coming on that early, or I think even that early. And he comes back to do uh, the the costume design. Uh, Jean Paul Gaultier is a famous uh, clothing designer, and did something it, like nine hundred costumes for this movie. Yeah, and he's yeah. also the guy that created those like. Cone boobs for Madonna in okay. the 90s. That's <laughs> very polarizing for our generation. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, he's, he, and he went on to, I think, you know, run Air may and he was very, he's a huge fashion guy. But uh, I think he signed on that early for this because there's all this talk about that's part of the what if game, which we can get into. Uh, so, my point is just to set up that they were going to make this movie in the early 90s, and then. And he brought these people together. And then they got all of development and then before they actually started production while they're in pre-production, he decided to put it aside. Well, he couldn't get the money required. Nobody, No no studio would back him for this because they're like, this is too involved. He had already made like four movies, but uh, none of them were as big of a success to warrant this big of a script and this big of a budget, especially for a European film.
1: And he might have already even asked Bruce Willis about it. And Bruce Willis was coming off of flops of Hux and Hawk and Billy Bathgate. So he was hesitant to sign on. So
0: and yeah, they wanted they were talking about that they he he approached both Mel Gibson and Bruce Willis. And Mel said no, I think. Mel said no, and, and Bruce, Bruce Willis was, was, was a little bit hesitant because he was coming off of, like you said, flops, and this was like somewhat of an unknown director in, in America and a really big project that could go either way. Yeah. Um and they have talked about uh, you know, Prince playing the, yeah, ruby the rod the ruby rod character uh which is funny because while we watched it it was like I you know you can kind of see that there is that if anything, like Prince is probably a little bit of an influence, yeah, Of the way that character, obviously not the way that character acts, because Prince always seems very seemed always very shy and quiet, but like the the theatricality of well, the Chris costume. Tucker, oh, <laughs> I, I,
1: I love his. It's so over the top in this movie. I love it. It's because you know he's friends with Michael Jackson, Chris Tucker at the time yeah. too. So I see a lot of elements of Michael Jackson, and I love that. <laughs> like I love all that shit he does and yeah, all this. Yeah. It's just so, and it's such a. uh, for Chris Tucker, a role at the time where he's coming off of like Friday and like, uh, what's the other one? He did a movie with Charlie. uh, um, What's his face? Uh, Charlie Sheen. I forget the name of that movie where it's like, you know, this is such a, you know, he's becoming a, a, like a feminine character. It's just, it's real ballsy for him. And then he just completely goes balls out within
0: the character. It's really. So in 1992 or 93, whenever they they decide to put the project aside because they can't raise the funding, And stuff. So, and then he goes on and makes the professional. Yeah. And the professional ends up being a hit. Yeah. And so that gave kind of financiers a little more
1: because he does it with Columbia, and he says, and he goes back to Columbia, and while he's in, I think, post-production for the professional, he goes back to this, and he like brings the budget down from like a hundred million to like ninety million. Tightens
0: the script a little bit, and he, and he, by tightening the script, also manages to lower the budget. Yeah. And and
1: then Columbia signs on because they were a partnership with him with Leon. So he at that time then goes, uh, so the original point we brought this up initially aside from giving you backstory was that so he never brought back on um, Mobius and Jean-Claude Moretti's, I'm probably saying that last name wrong, uh, when they got back into it so they never got a premium uh, once the movie got greenlit and went on so uh, ultimately we can get into later they ended up uh, filing a lawsuit against him saying that they took stuff of his, and it's, it was a ripoff of various things that they had done um, uh, in comic book form that he was uh, plagiarizing. But he grabs a lesser-known star, which I think is Jean Renault because he just worked with him in a number of films, and he's in some office one day, and Bruce Willis calls, and he, he, uh, he's talking to, like, a studio head, and Bruce Willis calls the studio head, and he gets on the phone, and he says to Bruce Willis, what's he going says, on? He says, can I say hi to Bruce yeah. Willis? <laughs> because this <laughs> just really, uh, I don't know if that was really his intention. Like, can I say hi to Bruce you Willis? Know, he, yeah. en- he ends up talking to Bruce Willis and he says, oh, you know, we're doing this movie. It's going to be great. I've got another star on. And then uh, he says, I'm sorry, you couldn't be a part of it because you wanted too much money. We're trying to keep budgets down. And then I guess there's like a pause on the phone and Bruce Willis is like, well, I guess if, if if I like the film, we can always come to an arrangement. So yeah, yeah. Bruce Willis agrees to read the, I guess. So he goes right to New York, he says, gives Bruce Willis the script. And like two hours later, Bruce Willis calls.
0: and says, I'll do it. Now I think it's really interesting when you look at Bruce Willis's career, um, and kind of like what really. I mean, he made some movies in this p- time period that you we can look at and be like, ugh, you know, like they weren't that great. But if you, but if you also look at like very, no, he's doing a very smart, you know, a way of picking. I mean, he's working with really great young, well, I mean, Lupuson's not that young at this point, but he's picking. There's a handful of really interesting projects that he's doing around this time, and I think it's if you really look at it and you analyze it, it's like it's so the way he was handling his career is so smart.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a fellow lefty, which I have to say, I love you know, because I'm a lefty as well. And he to see his rise, you know, from the 80s and doing and getting big with moonlighting, and then of course, with Die Hard, and then like you're saying, into this 90s. Where he did these other movies, which were considered flops, but I think around this time is a big favorite of mine. Uh, Death Becomes Her. He's in that. And it's that's like one of my most favorite roles of him of all time. And he and he, he's picking these weird role. I think he's is he in Bonfire to the Vanities? Maybe he uh, like he's he's picking these weird roles that you would think that like a guy at the time who's he's a bona fide action star at that point. Yeah. You know, he does Die Hard two in I think nineteen ninety, and uh, he you know he does like. Um, uh, Striking Distance which is another action movie and I'm sure there's a I think like uh, what's the Shane Black movie that's really good with the uh, football player and him and Damon Wayne.
0: oh Last Boy Scout yeah he does Last Tony, Boy Scout around this time Tony, Tony
1: Scott uh, yeah I mean he, you know but he's also like you're saying he, but he's, he's not just staying within the action yeah, circuit which because then you
0: did. look at it I mean he did Pulp Fiction
1: Yeah, which uh, is a really you know that's that's a huge risk at the time I mean not so much, but you know. Yeah,
0: I mean, he was kind of, Quentin Tarantino was coming off of Reservoir Dogs, but still, to be—I mean, you're talking about one of like the big stars in Hollywood doing a film like Pulp Fiction, and then he did the following year did Twelve Monkeys.
1: Yeah, that's another one that's uh, for Terry Gilliam, yeah. which is like an oddball that could have went that could have completely flopped. Yeah. you know.
0: But it's like he's picking interesting scripts, interesting projects. A movie that—I uh, mean—I think people of our generation. Uh, Look back at one. I look back at fondly because I remember seeing it the movies was Last Man Standing. Oh, yeah, uh, by Walter Hill,
1: which is a remake of um, what's his face is Dashiell Hammett's, uh, uh, but not Nightmare Town, it's the other one, uh, Red Harvest, you yeah. know, which we people saw as you know, Jimbo and as well as Fistful of Dollars, you know. Uh,
0: so that's like 1996. So, I mean, he got 94, 95, 96. He has, like, these interesting films. And he's also
1: doing B-Sides at that time. He's doing, like, like I said, Death Becomes It, but he does another movie. Like, he does, like, Disney's The Kid. Well, know? that's,
0: like, that's, that's a little later. Is that a little late? You know? That's, like, late 90s, early 2000s. But he's
1: doing, like, these weird, like, Yeah, but he does, like, he does like, like,
0: like uh, The Color of Night. Yeah, that's a great... Which, which is like a, a movie a, that I fucking love, yeah. even though I know other podcasts have done it on, like, an uh, ironic like trashing it basis but I think that movie is really interesting with a great cast very interesting director who has like you have, like Scott
1: Bakula Lance Henriksen in that movie yeah, uh, Brad DeReef yeah uh, and it's a great uh, I remember being like a Warren, yeah Leslie and Warren is <laughs> and but it's and it's also like an answer because of basic instinct yeah it's coming
0: like, off that like sexual erotic yeah that 90s. like soft core erotic yeah. thriller thing
1: and that's that's a pretty ballsy thing for a bit too because i you might even see little...
0: <laughs> literally because you see yeah I was, say, I was gonna say you might see a
1: little cock in that right do you yeah. see yeah you see the head of his cock yeah there you go so that's for all the ladies out there and the guys who are into um, that kind of thing
0: so i mean and that director had only ever really directed to my best of my knowledge i could be wrong about this and i'm sure somebody will correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like the direct guy that directed that movie he had only ever directed like the stunt man with uh, Peter O'Toole. Oh, wow. Like like decades yeah, before Yeah, it's like ten year, ten, at least
1: 10 or 15 years before. Uh, but it's, it at least shows that he's not, Bruce Willis is not afraid yeah. to work with, like, say, foreign directors or up-and-coming directors. Up-and-coming directors. Or 19, experienced directors. In
0: 1999, he makes The Sixth Sense with M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, exactly. Which, again, that like I'm sure reading that script, you're probably like, this is a good script. I mean, it's all on the kid's shoulders, yeah. that movie like whoever you're going to cast on that you're just carrying that movie yeah and a kid actor it's tough i mean you could go cast somebody and then the performance can end up being fucking annoying as shit yeah or you can get some kid that fucking knocks it out of the park and and hill jawsman just happened to be the right kid yeah talented did that part but i can imagine that that was probably a really big gamble for him to do that movie
1: yeah and i've 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 never met bruce willis but i've met people who met him when he was in the building that I was working at the time. And he's very, a no-nonsense guy. You know, he's very much like, uh, you know, he's kind of like, not like he doesn't have time for people, but he's very like, you know, he knows what he wants. He's not very talkative. You know, he's, not, you can't just go shake his hand and be like, so what's your favorite movie? You know, I mean, he just, you know, he's kind of doesn't have time for stuff. He seems like a really down-to-earth kind of a dude. Like, yeah. he seems really cool if, you know, if you I don't know if somebody you go out drinking with, but, and he's another one of these guys that we said at the top of the cast where it's like he, to me, doesn't seem to really age. Where, you know, as soon as he decided to like shave his head kind of after the first Die Hard. Uh, you know, he, he, every movie he has, he has a different hairstyle because of the various characters playing versus the wig they're putting on him or yeah. whatever. But he, to me, he just—you know—he's a fit guy, and he and he and he could have very easily went the route of say like a Van Damme or a Seagal where he's sure. only doing
0: the action canon. But even now, you I know? mean, a lot of his stuff kind of goes like straight to streaming now because it's yeah, a lot really straight. But to finally, TV. that ha- but that's a lot, but, very late in the career of other people. But you're also, I mean, he also very interesting. Like he was in Looper. Great Ryan Johnson, yeah. which I like hit, I like Ryan Johnson a lot. He's one of the only people too who actually
1: he came up, he was one of the last risers into that action can of the 80s yeah. that Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and like you know, Chuck Norris started in but when their careers flopped in the mid-90s where people were tired of that, you know, these, these kind of movies he, he was able to keep it going yeah, And he didn't really have a lull point that you see Schwarzenegger or Stallone or even yeah. those other guys have. He was able to... Maybe because he's making these choices, he's doing these movies that are gambles, yeah. so to speak. He's not just trying to do a straight action thriller or an action...
0: He just... I know, have a lot of... You know, I never really had thought about it until we did this movie, and I was looking at the kinds of movie he was doing at the time, and then even now with, like I said, things like *Looper*. But like you look at it, and you're like okay, sure, he made some flops, and he made some movies that people could argue are not very good. Uh, but if you really look, that he's got a lot of these really interesting projects, and I actually not. You know, in in researching it and doing this movie, kind of gained a lot of respect for, well, for he, him. He's
1: another guy where it's like um, you look at him on the surface; it just seems like he's not doing much. Yeah, but it, but you know, he's he, he's good in the, every movie he's in. Like this movie here, I, th- I love him in this, and it's like again, like. <laughs> I bring up say a movie like Death Becomes Her where he, he'll then go play completely against type. He'll take a leap and do something that he's that's completely not his usual style. Yeah. And he'll give a solid performance. And in this movie you don't think he's really doing a lot, but he's funny, you know, he's got comic moments and like yeah. you know even you know you take like um pulp fiction. It's like, you know, there's just so he has a really good a nuance about him that you don't really see initially off the surface. You just see like a tough guy that's good looking that you know can kick some ass and maybe written in the script every he has to get the shit kicked out of him and he <laughs> has to scream a lot. You know, Hans. You know, I mean. But it's like, you know, uh, afterward he's actually he's a he's a good actor. You know, who's yeah, able yeah. to like. Have a, a a huge sustaining career. I mean that that you know that I think is largely to his credit. You know that he's he makes these choices of these movies. Well, yeah,
0: I mean that's just like a, the example of this movie is like it's just another example. He's like you know like let me read the script. If I think the script, if I like the script, we'll figure out a financial situation,
1: which is kind of cool. So you, so that's that's kind of gives him more credit. Street cred, where he's not like, hey, I love the script, but you know I'm only coming out for twenty million. Yeah, that's yeah. my fucking thing
0: because by then I mean when he did it in 1990 when they wanted him to do it in 1992 he was coming off a bunch of flops yeah I mean Die but, Hard but was by 90, the time but. they did it in the late 90s he had had Pulp Fiction yeah he had come off of 12 Monkeys I mean he was kind He's of last back Last Boy Scout all those I mean when was
1: the third Die Hard movie 94 or 96.
0: Yeah, so he's coming off another Die Hard movie which was un, you know, inevitably successful. Yeah. So I mean, he was back on top by and the And Armageddon's
1: right around there 97, 98. Yeah. So you he's know? coming
0: off a bunch of like really, one, like interesting performances that he's getting critical acclaim for, two, financial like box office hits. Yeah. Which are like upping his price. And
1: actually, you know, he's doing a lot of his fair... You know what he knows how to do, and it's, yeah. it's it's working. So yeah, and it's good that he takes this. So God bless Bruce Willis. God bless him, Bruno. And, uh, and he's um, look who's talking. Look who's talking. <laughs> yeah, one and two. Is, and I don't know three? if there's is there a three? I think there
0: is a third one. Uh, uh,
1: uh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So, but that's another example. Although he
0: might not voice the, guy. He the might third not, one? He might not be in
1: the third. But he's voice. in the first two. You know, mm, lunch. You know, it's like yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's just like you know those are examples of movies he's doing. that's just, and I'm sure there are a couple movies in the mid to late '90s that are just like he he just pops up in. You yeah. know, he has like a camera. You're like, oh, there's Bruce Willis hanging out there, you know? And um, then Mila Jovovich didn't really have... This was her first movie, right? I mean, no, they said I that mean they, she
0: was in other stuff. Wasn't she in like uh, that record store one? Oh, Empire Records? Yeah, she was in that, wasn't she? She was in some other things, but she kind of views this as her first movie because... Uh because uh, this was she said it's the first one she ever took seriously it was like her first like starring role and it was the first one she ever really cared about so she put a lot of work and effort into it so in a weird way she kind of feels like this is her first movie even though she had done a few movies before this oh, I
1: see I see and she uh, and I guess he he since she's also kind of linchpin in this movie, he must have seen you know shitload. Basan must have yeah. auditioned a crapload of women in this in this role. I mean, there are what? Ifs yeah, he if says said,
0: that like they looked at like three to four hundred people. Yeah, and least. they even talked like Julia
1: Roberts being in this like, as as her. And I think uh, that was like in the pre in the initial the, the first the first um, go around. Yeah. Um, you also have in this. I want to give a shout out to Byron James. This is like his last role, I think, because he died of a heart attack in 1999. Uh, but he had been in, with Bruce Willis in uh, The Player, which is 1992, and Striking Distance 93. I have a big affinity for Striking Distance with. Uh,
0: I theory, know it's theory, like the Jessica third Parker. time you brought it up. Today. I love that movie uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, in well, New
1: Orleans, and uh, uh, he's great in it. Byron James, who people I guess would most notably know from is uh, it
0: Byron or Brian. Is a, I thought it was by. Uh, is it Brian? I, it was I think it's B R I O N. Like a weird spelling of Brian, but um, I could be wrong. But yeah, I mean, this guy. I mean, know him from Blade Runner. Yeah, well, like he could. You could easily put this guy in like the Sleepover Movie Hall of Fame. Yeah, because you go back, he's in. He's in Blazing Saddles. Wow. Is, oh, is he? He's in Blue Sunshine by Jeff Lieberman, which is a horror movie that I like a lot. He's in Crime Wave, yeah. Sam Raimi's second movie. Which, if you want to hear like some funny stories about him. Um, If you listen to like the commentary uh, for Crime Wave with bruce campbell he talks there's some wacky stories that he tells about like how crazy this guy was in real life and and in a way like how difficult he was to work with he seems like a nut even just looking at him he kind of has that yeah but he's at 48 hours yes he is he's an enemy mine yeah he's an armed and dangerous which is a you know classic cherry 2000 he's in red heat tango and cash yeah. red scorpion and uh Captain boy yeah I mean that those are just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, it's uh, sadly, and of he, course, Blade Runner. Like he's probably best known for Blade Runner.
1: Yeah, sadly he 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 dropped dead in ninety nine nine of a heart attack. Uh, but I think this might have been his last movie. Uh, but I love him in this too. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of like uh, little cameos to this whole thing. I mean, um, you have the British um, trip hop rapper Tricky. He's um, uh, Gary Oldman's either he has I didn't realize in the movie, but he has like left arm and right arm. He calls them so I don't know if, if, which one is his left arm, right hand man or left arm man. Yeah. But the guy he has go to the airport that's tricky. Uh, who had a big trip hop career? Uh, Lee Evans, who's a big British comedian. Uh, he's the steward on the ship. You know, he's that guy when they get on the ship. Like we're sending someone to negotiate. Yeah, like he's yeah. a big uh, British comedian. We have Ian Holmes, who you know people know, who's a great yeah. English actor. Well, that the an guy yeah.
0: and. You know, the guy you mentioned before, he's also in, like... A Lee uh, Evans. Like, there's something about Mary. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. I forgot about and, that. And, yeah, of course, he's in Home from Alien and... And, uh, and a ton of uh, ton of uh, stuff. He's in... Uh, around the same
1: time, he's in Kenneth Branagh's uh, Frankenstein. Um, his friend in the movie, the, the Little Priest, it's funny because, to me, uh, there's a great Irish uh, comedy show called Father Ted that I love that's really big, that in the 90s only went for, like, three seasons. And it's a it's a joke on uh, Catholic priests, uh, this one guy is, is banished to an island off the coast of Galway, Ireland, and it's just his adventures dealing with all these nuts. And I feel like the, their relationship to the two priests in this is, mirrors that to a certain extent. Um, but the little, the, his friend in this movie, Ian Holmes' um, understudy, is the gentleman who ends up being in um, uh, Nell by Mouth, He's oh, yeah, the, the yeah. lead kid in. So I don't know if Gary Oldman got him because they were doing this movie, or because they don't share any scenes together. But maybe it just was happenstance that they uh, they were working together, yeah. and uh, he got him. But he plays a. Gr- I've only seen *Nell by Mouth* once, yeah. um, but I freaking I loved see. it when it came. It was
0: very. It's very. It's a hard movie to watch. I saw it at the movies here in New York City, uh, and it was just a wacky night. So I remember. Unfortunately, I don't remember a lot about it because it was more. I remember the night more. It was yeah. a very weird circumstance. I went out with people that uh, are not worth mentioning because nobody will know who they are other than Dion. <laughs> but, it was a, but it was the only time I went out with these people, and we came down here to see it. And, uh, and I was like a middle-class kid in college, so I didn't even have like that nice of clothes. And I went out with like these really rich kids that were driving like re, you know it was a very odd
1: was it the kid that ended up getting uh, Jamie I was going to say he got out freshman year they kind yeah, of, yeah. Got of see last year last cast we were talking about them getting rid of knocking yeah. out people after that was he got
0: I went out with like him his brother and maybe two other people one was a girl and they were like rich kids rich kids from Greenwich yeah so they were all you know we were driving in like this really expensive car and they were all fucking decked out because they were hip and <laughs> this kid it was a very odd he, he, was, he was a lovely kid And they ended up um yeah i mean i don't say rich kid in that he was a brat
1: or anything he was a great guy i actually i liked him a lot it's funny that like he was a kid where um they ended up letting him go after the freshman year because they didn't think um that his film was working and and they told him that going to it like your film's not going to work if you don't if you do it this way but he kind of with blinders um for whichever reason did it the way he wanted and then it didn't work and then they kind of with other problems but i remember freshman year going back to like last cast where you'd have we'd have assignments we have to do so like you know it was like you know a person in a room or a conversation or blah 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 and it was just us getting acquainted with like you know the technology whatever or cameras and telling stories so one of the early things we did was like each weekend we'd have to take a camcorder home it was like just film your weekend so yeah. like mine was like film my weekend like you know with my girlfriend at the time or you know us walking around on the college campus and playing games and like I've, uh, you know, yours was something similar, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think you, me, and the third kid, we had ours kind of intertwined. Yeah, which was yeah pretty we funny. all did it like on the same. Yeah. Weekend. So it was kind of funny that ours kind of connected some weird way. Like ours becomes like mine, a triple. I, I feature. Mine, I remember mine was like
0: an anthology. Mine was like more of a. I mine was less of like actually documenting, and more of like a dramatization where I. I trying to like put in like what all of the first few weeks of school were, were like yeah and I try to like really like a hyper <laughs> realized like a hyper reality version and that was what also what the
1: third our third friend Chris did too because remember his was like him being like losing touch with reality and then killing me he kills me at the end of mine and then no one knows where I am through the course of yours has anybody seen Dion you know so this kid so we're doing st- funny stuff like that in our dorm room and this kid comes back and he it, it, it his thing starts off where it's like like in front of this mansion in Greenwich and it's the middle of the night and all of a sudden these like like a Maserati, a brand new Corvette and a Ferrari roll up and screech yeah, to a yeah. stop. He gets up, he gets out and then it cuts to upstairs. There is a naked woman that you see topless, who's our age at the time. So, yeah. whoa. Taking a bath in a tub and his three friends come up and sit on the couch that's in the bathroom. In the because bathroom, yeah. I'll they're rich. That's big, what they do. Yeah. And he sits down and they, they just sort of have talk. a conversation about like what they're gonna do that night and she's hot as balls, she's completely topless, and there's no mention of that. It's yeah. just like a like a foreign film. Yeah, yeah, And they're just chatting with her about whatever. And this is just a weekend assignment. This yeah, yeah. wasn't like, you know, a a project or like, you know, it wasn't like his freshman film. It was just like, you know, a throwaway VHS assignment and we're like, Holy shit and then, <laughs> Like say like, I'll go to the movies with you. <laughs> <laughs> nah. No, uh, yeah. So you saw him? do you sell Now by Mouth? I saw Now
0: by Mouth with him and his friends. We came down to the city and kind of bar hopped, and then went to the movies. Of course, I was fucking poor, but. Uh, he was a he was a good guy and uh, Charles Charlie uh,
1: Creed Miles is the guy's name who's in Nell by Mouth the kid yeah yeah
0: and I will say about the this guy's house is when you pulled up because I went to his house too at some point
1: oh yeah I forgot you went into his house and right? if you
0: go to his house pulling up to his house is like your like heat you're you know it's like one of those It's <laughs> like when you pull up to like whatever what's the is it.
1: It's De Niro's, De Niro's house. De Niro's. Like the post, the, you yeah, you the feel like post-modern. you're pulling into like a Michael Mann
0: movie or something <laughs> with one of those drive, you know, when you have the the, the U-shaped driveway. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, you know, you're rich when you have like a U-shaped stairwell. Oh, going up in, when you walk in. the walk foyer in. or when you have a U-shaped driveway, you can pull in either way. That's how you know when you're rich. And his house was a very, like a very modern, and I feel like whatever body of water it, was, know, it must have been off Long Island Sound. Yeah, something like that. It was, but so that's my. I remember the night more than I remember no, my mouth. That's a long story yeah. to wrap around to that sentiment sorry
1: uh great movie though i remember being uh really messed up at the time too because and i do
0: remember clapton did the soundtrack yeah he and did i'm it. a diehard clapton fan especially back then
1: and he did it for free because Oman didn't have the, the money yeah. for the payment was like it, clapton said you pay for the studio time yeah and i'll come and it and i'll do I'll it and, do and it that free. was when clapton was big he was doing the lethal weapon movies all that you know yeah. the guitar licking and stuff like that and that movie never saw a dvd release for years now by mouth because uh, I caught it when it came out on video, and then when it went away, I couldn't see it for so many years. So when I tell people
0: about it and go back and, it's and watch it. it's very hard to understand and for us Americans. That yeah. like the the Cockney, the, it,
1: yeah, the, it, it,
0: the 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 British accent, the British language that's going on in that movie is very it's yeah. Hard I mean,
1: to follow. in in a, in a nutshell, it's about East London, and it was about some about Gary Ullman's growing up, but it's about a very abusive family, like in the in the projects what they call like uh, council housing over there and like people addicted to drugs and then this father who of this family who's a uh, basically a, uh, an abuser he's a mental and physical abuser and he gets drunk and it's, it's it's very very disturbing and it's unsettling for that because it is kind of a yeah. semi biographical to Gary Oldman's upbringing i guess at the time and i guess it shows a lot of things that were happening not just in England but people sure. you know behind closed doors so that's the reason why he ends up doing this yeah. movie to, to help finance that which i think was a success but we brought him up because of the kid the kid was elite miles was the lead uh and that movie plays the kid in the movie who's addicted i think he was addicted to heroin in the movie but he is the the little priest in this so this cast is pretty extensive i don't know if we're, we're i'm sure we're missing other people in this that, that have little cameos in this but uh so, and then the, the, the oh, we have Luke Perry who at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> yeah. who, and I remember when this came out.
0: Um, I uh, think it's like fifth billing in the opening yeah, credits. Yeah, and, 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 and he's, he's only, only in the
1: starting, you know. And it, But at the time, um, you know, I think uh, 90210 had just finished. So if I remember he, being
0: surprised, like, hey, Luke Perry's getting some yeah, work. You but know? And he had also left it at some point, way before it ended. Did he? He wanted to go yeah, do yeah, a career yeah. or something. Well, he went off and did, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the movie. Oh, okay. And, uh, he went off to have a film career that never really took off, which is a shame because I like Luke.
1: Perry. Yeah, I do too. So Jason Priestley kind of the same thing where he went off and had tried to have a career and he was also a race car driver a yeah, little bit too. Had a
0: horrible accident. Yeah, at some almost way. died. Uh, um, but Luke Perry's now on um, Riverdale. Yeah, he's the father, isn't he? Yeah, which is a f- I was watching the other day, and it is bizarre because it's, it's Archie. It's Archie, but it's, it's like a teen drama. <laughs> well, because a lot of people don't know that Archie uh, was based out of Westchester.
1: The, the the company that put out Archie was like in like Maranek. They were like putting it out of like a uh, I forget what the name of the comics Funny Time, whatever the comic publisher. Yeah, was. yeah. They were just publishing out of there, so it took place in Riverdale, New York, which is at the top of the Bronx, right along the Hudson River there. And uh, you know, but it was more lighthearted. It was Jughead and all that yeah, '50s yeah.
0: kind of like you know, like that but this kinda, show is like. But this is they. It's very. It's like you're almost watching it. And it's it's almost funny. I mean, I'm. All, I would imagine a lot of kids. But they've turned. They've. They. I don't think people even know that it's. Archie. Well, that's what I mean. Like yeah. I. Th- I think I would imagine a lot of the younger people that are. Although Archie's still being printed today, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine that a lot of like the younger audience are going for don't really know the Archie comics. So it's but it's very like very serious and more, like. Jughead. <laughs> is he, is he, they using the names and Yeah, stuff? yeah. Jughead Betty, and stuff? Veronica, Archie,
1: yeah. Jughead. Oh, wow. I didn't know. I thought they would have changed the names, too. No.
0: It's
1: I don't a- know when the next time we're going to talk about Archie again, but if if people are interested, there was a great run they just finished called Archie. I think it's called Archie in the Afterlife, and it's about um the zombie apocalypse happening in the Archie world, and it's so good. It's unbelievable. It's very, very good, and it's done as a kind of like creep show kind of a way, yeah. but it's in print over the past couple of years. Very cool, and it's... Treated semi-serious, and Sabrina the t- Teenage Witch is brought in, you know, as a supernatural thing, but we digress. Um, so the, the story of this is, I love, m- me with everything, like, I love if you add Nazis, or you add, like, some sort of thing at the beginning, I'm, I'm in it. And I love how they they kind of ground this movie at the beginning with the, you know, it takes place in 1914, like, it looks like they're in Egypt, and there's some... Um, you, know, you have like a um, archaeologist kind of there finding a pyramid, hieroglyphics kind of read, and then all of a sudden they open this cavern and these aliens come down, and yeah. you find out that they need to take the elements. Which, when
0: was Stargate? Stargate to is be... before this. Yeah,
1: Stargate's like ninety three or ninety four, I feel like, but it's uh, it has a feel of that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But well, I mean, you always have that. I mean, most recently, I think with the latest, um, what is it, the X Men Apocalypse movie, you have that kind of an idea sure. where they have apocalypse they change the, the story where he's not a like a, uh outer space character. He was tied to the Egyptians. Yeah, yeah. And I always dig well, that. I'm just saying that yeah. they, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. they were close. Yeah. I like when they tie the Egyptians to like alien shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you find out, or the Nazis are trying to find the occult stuff.
0: You yeah, know, like yeah. Hell, well, I mean, there's Hellboy. even a, like, is it, are they Germans? You know, there's even that, there's a little bit of that. I mean, not World War II, but there's a little bit of that they're trying to say and the reason why they end up taking the stones is because of like wars are coming yeah yeah which know?
1: is in this, it's 1914 is the year that uh, that World War One starts the Great Yeah, Great War yeah. In, in Europe starts you know so you might you're, you might be right they might be Germans because he might have a German gun there the, the
0: one that he's hiding well, I don't know if they're Germans but there's something like when the spaceship comes or something, they're like uh, they were worried that they that the Germans were coming. Oh, and you know, yeah. there's some there's some reference that that they're worried that the aliens are Germans. Yeah. And those and those aliens you see these really far out,
1: bizarre but unique looking machines that are very much right out of these comic books, the Mobius comic books. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of this stuff all looks like
0: also feels a lot to me like. Um, That movie version of the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Which was a—that's a huge British staple. Which they had a, I think it in the early '80s they did a miniseries for, which is very famous. The tv version of bbc and it did maybe a radio play too before they did a theatrical version here yeah but yeah it's very much like that kind of a a way but it's such a it's an odd way of looking at you know you don't know if they're like those are astronaut suits or if those are just the aliens themselves it's very but it's a unique way of looking at these things and you find out that there's these elements on the earth they need to take them because they don't trust us they say you know the next time you'll need them is in 300 years and then We'll, that's the end
0: of it we'll be back
1: yeah we'll be back after these moments and then they and then it cuts to like modern time and you have this this being that comes out of and he's called i love how he's called mr shadow right so like Owen yeah. was like talking to him on the phone yeah, yeah. i love that scene where she, he called mr shadow's on the phone <laughs> i told you not
0: to <laughs> yeah. bother me unless we... you
1: said it was mr shadow mr shadow's on the phone. He's like am i disturbing <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: no i think that receptionist than that his reception is so hot.
1: A lot of these girls in these movies, like I, the other girl too is gorgeous. See, these are, I don't know if they're models because... I think she was a They're model. familiar looking because then the girl, when they go to the airport, and this is another movie that... We were talking about last week with Reservoir Dogs. I used to quote this all the time. Like, Aaron was like, my favorite. And, like, he would say, like, in her laugh, like, ah, And me and our friend Mike Morona, who we talked about last week, we used to always say, Multipass, Corbin Dallas, Multipass. He knows the Multipass, Multipass. You know, these yeah, are all yeah. these little one liners or, or, or you know, very Reds, you know, that. And that scene where they're at the airport, that girl who they're talking to, everyone keeps coming up that they're Corbin Dallas. Yeah, yeah. She looks like somebody too, like somebody who, who famous that I knew. And she's absolutely gorgeous too. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, but i love the idea that you have this this huge entity which you never really explain what it is i mean maybe it's death maybe it's something it could be freaking unicron for all we know from transformers <laughs> the movie yeah. you know and, and and um it's coming into town and it's just going to bring death and destruction and you have that little opening sequence where of course the uh you have like the star the the, the battleship guy wants to just try to you know uh encounter it with you know aggression and blow it out of the way and it just makes it stronger and it kills all them and they never really explain what happens with the black goo that goes down the forehead but for some reason that's always terrified me seeing that 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 black stuff you know out of um yeah frame and then you just see it come into frame and it kind of like it's almost like it's taking into their mind that kind of a thing and uh it's always just kind of disturbed me because you don't really see what it is and at first you think it's like uh is it there it's a blood like it's a dark red blood or it's just like the evil but then when Gary Oman talks on the phone to it later and he gets off the phone he kind of wipes it away and it's not necessarily like blood or whatever who knows what it is it, it could be just the residualness of this thing creeping into you like the evil or whatever so I've always enjoyed that and um you have uh Tommy Tiny uh, Lister who we've talked about from our um, yeah,
0: we brought him up in this movie too when we did a yeah, yeah, we, we, no we, holds bar we
1: did our new uh, our no holds bar cast last year and we we talked a bit about his his career and his his fame and stuff and uh you know at the time when this came out that was like really um uh weird casting to have him as the president of the United States but i guess now looking at it it kind of works because the movie's so out there i kind of enjoy him in this role of just being you know usually you see him as like a thugger or, or just like a uh like a henchman or some sort of like you know heavy in this movie him being the president i think is really cool in it and uh and to me this 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 reminds me of a lot of the um the movies at the time that were coming out like the, that version of um of the future where you have like uh, demolition man or you have yeah, like yeah. dread judge dread to a certain extent with Stallone or even Robocop. Like I can, can kind of see, uh, even like Mario brothers we brought up, like when they go into that world, <laughs> you can kind of see, <laughs> we, you know, the, the, that this is kind of the weird, it's very you know?
0: funny. Cause when we, when we were watching it, I did have this sense that it felt, it felt very nineties to me. Yeah. Well, it's funny but because it, it's pre, internet but it feels more like early 90s to me than late 90s like yeah. even the the score i mean not all the score but there are certain scenes in the of the uh, parts of the soundtrack the score that have that like nine early 90s beat like electronic beat. Yeah. That feels so like 1992 to 94 to me. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that it was it took place in 1997, I was like, man this feels way earlier of 90s, which is funny cuz that's when they were developing it, but obviously they didn't write any music for it until after the film was done. So it it, it has a it's definitely it, it it's it I found it interesting that it definitely it feels so '90s, but it felt way more like early '90s. Yeah, uh, it, in my mind, it's
1: it's odd to have, you have that urban future noir sci-fi, but it's predicting the future but it's still predicting the future with buttons and because they they have the internet but they haven't hit the digital age yet yeah so without that knowledge you still have everything you still envision there's transistors there's tube televisions and you know there's not flat screens so you're just like a year too shy of he's still
0: smoking cigarettes even though it's like mostly filter yeah and i used to love that back then you know like
1: it's it's like there's no tobacco whatsoever in it you know and you have a lot of weird things which are like these weird uh, points in movies like where at the beginning of the movie he gets a call and it's uh, this dude finger talking to him. You never meet this character and evidently that's yeah. Vin Diesel uh, oh, as the well, voice. I, sh- I shouldn't have watched this. You movie. know, I know I, you don't like Vin Diesel. Um, it completely unaccredited in it that that's the uh, character and and then you hear his mother in the movie too. Like you talk to her, she, she talks. You never meet her and it's it's it's. it's always, I always found that a weird device where you have. Uh, a character talking on the phone and you never get the reverse of who they're talking to. I mean, I yeah, know it's yeah. not important, but it's just odd. It's like that's a that's a choice in the movie they make. Yeah. And they do it with this guy and, and um, Finger, who I guess unaccredited Vin Diesel played the voice of, and then the mother. Um, and, the, and, the, and 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 in this, Bruce Willis is, is a cab driver and he used to be like an old, it's like Starfighter or something like you know up there, and he's retired now. And then they bring him back because they need him to to go on this mission to save the world, which they don't really qu- quite understand yet. And Um, when there's the impending doom at the beginning, you know, Ian Holmes is the priest goes to the president and he tells them what's happening. You got to let these aliens, I forget that the aliens names come in. And when they, when they are allowed to come in, you have the, um, the terrorist aliens, the, uh, they're like, uh, Mongoloids, I think their name are. They, um, they, uh, surprise attack and blow up the thing. And they're trying to get the stones for Gary Ullman. And I used to love... In that little montage, it's almost like like uh, action porn, like you know, like when they're like shooting and there's a montage. them like, you know, with the <laughs> mouths and all that kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah. I used to love those shots, but those are like to me like very Luke Passant, where you have that kind of music and you yeah. have that kind of montage. And then when they blow up, the only thing that's left is her, their, the hand of the alien that we're talking about. And then when they bring it to regenerate, it turns into Mia, Mia Jovovich. Yeah, yeah. You know, and at the at the point in this movie, she spoke four languages fluently and all that, and. Her and Luke Passan developed this fake language um, with each other to talk to so that yeah. they can. Apparently,
0: Luke Passan had been developing this language since he was a teenager, kind of for the movie. And then her job was basically to learn this. And then they would talk to each other and write letters to each other in this artificial language that he had kind of created for this movie. Um, yeah, and he. Uh, and...
1: He was at the time dating the girl who ended up or he was either married or dating the girl who was the
0: who plays the d he movie. was married to her and she didn't want to do it um they started dating when she was fifteen and how old was he thirty two they got married That's when the she French for you. <laughs> they got married when he when she was sixteen um so she's only then six years later she's twenty two in
1: the movie or something
0: uh She's that young, I guess. I guess, yeah. And they had a kid, and he had actually married the girl from La Femme Nikita. Okay, that was his first wife, who he had a, a child with. Then he left her, married the sixteen-year-old girl, uh, and she didn't want to do the movie because in her mind, like we, you know, it's not smart for us to. Her name is uh, Maiwin. I don't know her last name.
1: But that's the girl. Yeah.
0: All these European French names. You yeah. Know. We're mm-hmm. terrible with them. <laughs> we apologize. Yeah.
1: We'll find her last name around here somewhere.
0: And, uh, and she didn't want to do it. But then the last minute, the woman that was going to play the diva dropped out and she decided to do it. Maywin uh, Labesco.
1: And, uh, so she doesn't sing it. She just acts it. She plays yeah. the diva on screen.
0: Yeah. And then he ended up leaving her for Mila Jovovich.
1: Yeah. Which is kind of, uh, Ugh. and then they were together for what? Like they, two, then they married, right?
0: They got married, and then they were only married for like two, or like a year and a half or two years. Yeah, and they kind of disbanded. So then, he likes to have weird. He's got that role Polanski thing. He likes young <laughs> girls, and you know, well, he likes to date. He likes to marry the women he works with, and yep. in one case, he liked, uh, he married a very young girl.
1: Yeah, and then uh, so that's the basic story. There, they got to get to the. They meet Bruce Willis, and they have this whole little world there, and they got to get a. Uh, uh, Bruce Willis up. Bruce Willis has got to get them to this uh, flying kind of like a, uh, it's like an ocean liner. But bringing us right back to our Ty- Titanic cast a month ago, you know. Yes. And uh, who knew we would do two two ocean liners within a month? You got that, and and uh, you know, I, I love th- in the in this movie they use three different. They had like creature effects, they had miniature effects, and they used CGI. Yeah. And, and the uh, the miniature of the flying like. Um, almost steamer ship that they have off the coast or wherever, whatever the planet is, that was like 500 pounds, that model. Yeah. And they made a whole, these, these big models of the, um, of the New York City skyline and stuff like that for the scenes that they were, yeah, um,
0: which I think the, the facts hold up pretty well oh, for the uh, most surprisingly part, surprisingly well. I mean, and I think that's partially because now all of that city would have, have been all CGI, would have been CGI, and yeah. it would look like shit.
1: They did dozens of blocks, twenty-five skyscrapers, some twenty feet high, at one twenty-fourth scale, and it took eighty workers five months to make all that stuff, which is crazy. And then they they had a, a brilliant blend of CGI in there where they would. Then they went in and they CGI'd all this kind of business within all the windows. So every window has people going on doing about their stuff yeah. or if there's it's alive. And then they CGI'd all the cars, but they used like tr- there's all so much traffic and cars going. They they didn't think they can animate all that. They used this thing called the particle system where they use mathematics to basically Tell the computer where the cars would go, as if they were lanes, yeah. and what the cars were in relation. Then they just hit go, and the computer did it itself. Yeah. So the the computer kind of without them, they didn't need that. So they it was really cool that they blended like the live action of like the physical cab that they're in to like, and even the stuff like when there's the big car chase with the cab and the cops. It's like all that looks like you said it holds up. It doesn't seem to me to be like '90s, te- yeah. you know. It doesn't look like CGI too much to me. You know, or, or even when they're flying around in that world, it seems semi-realistic to what it could be. Yeah. Um, and then on t- on top of that, they had, like, the creature effects. Like, I love the cops. The cops kind of look like right out of Judge Dredd or RoboCop. And they say there is a RoboCop reference because they say to, like, you know, thank you for your participation, said a couple times. Yeah, yeah. And that's a direct RoboCop reference. There's actually
0: a few kind of references. One, I found there's the scene where they want her... The cops want to take her out of the cab, and she's in the back seat and he's like i you know i can't help i got you. one point left, she's left on my like, license please help you know she's run it was, to me reminded me a lot of in the professional when Natalie Portman walks by
1: oh and she's knocking on the door she's knock on the door that's an interesting theme in, 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 to look at between the two movies that it's like an unreluct, unreluctant hero
0: or a, who re- doesn't, or a reluctant
1: hero you know yes a reluctant <laughs> i'm sorry a reluctant <laughs> hero that you know but i guess you wouldn't call a hitman a hero in in, in the professional but he's you yeah know, he plays the hero the protagonist role but he's, yeah yeah he, you know he's an anti-hero but but them, whatever they are them willing to step out of their comfortability and help someone on a complete and whim. oddly
0: enough since we just talked about Luke on marrying that young girl that 15 16 year old girl lucas has said that the script for the professional has a lot to do with was inspired a lot by the fact that he was dating this teenager which married think, to this teenager. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, you know. So I mean I mean, people always kind of read a like a weird romantic sexual relationship into that movie. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why I actually like for the most part the American cut of it better. Which one? The professional? So the professional yeah. than the Leon cut. Because it's a little it's weird. Um it I just think it's some more the relationship is I don't know I just like it better and it's also the one I saw first but so just a little side note yeah that he, he claims that his relationship with a his marriage to a 16 year old girl inspired the script to the professional. Definitely something to talk about
1: in the professional because there's a lot of weird things going on with that relationship. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so that that scene reminded me a lot of that. There's the scene where, uh, you know, all the shit goes down at the Opera House and the British comic you were talking about, I can never remember his name, he's yelling for everybody to like calm down. That's very, like, that's right out of Animal House with Kevin Bacon does that exact thing. The. The receptionists, oh, which is color nails, which is very. It was like right out of Total Recall.
1: Yeah, well, that's another one too. Total Recall f- of the time period too. The, the Schwarzenegger version, they're all kind of have. They all seem to be various degrees. Yeah, they can be within the same inhabitable worlds. Just, yeah, you know,
0: wherever but it takes just, place. there's a lot of these. I feel like there's a lot of whether they're intentional or, or unintentional kind of like references to other movies in uh, this movie.
1: Um, I love the the outfits that the. Uh, the bad guys the, those terrorists uh, i think they're called the mangaloids maybe or i'm probably saying they i'm not remembering their name right but the the guys that gary oldman get to uh, to be those dudes i thought they were so original looking when the uh, when we you know when I, when you first saw them and uh, you know i like how they're able to have like a cloaking ability where it's very much like the michael jackson black or white video from the early <laughs> 90s where you know they can shake and they can turn out and be they can cloak and look human or whatever but then yeah. uh you know, at, at at some point, the yeah, Mangalores are their names, where they're uh, you know, and, and it's cool. That I love the whole backstory with them, and you know that they're a terrorist group and like fighting for a cause. And I love there's a joke there with the honor, where Gary Oman's like, I hate what they fight for. I'm uh, you know, I'm not saying verbatim, but he's like, um, he's like, you know, honors never never got people anywhere and it kills more people. And then at the very end of the movie, when he dies, the guy's like for the honor, (laughs) he blows up Gary Oldman, you know, that's kind of funny. And the whole thing about the leader, like the structure, if you kill their leader, they can't go anymore, you know, and, and, um, the big gun that he, that he, uh, that, um, Gary Olman uses in the movie that he has is based off a, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, AK, a short AK 47, AKS 74, which was an assault rifle that they used. That was that, Took the Kalashnikov and shortened it uh, to like have it be a real combat for terrorism mode or whatever kind of urban spaces. And that's what his ZF1 pod weapon system is. And I used to love that demo he gives, yeah, yeah. what all the stuff it can do and all this kind of things and all. And I mean, you know, as much as he doesn't like his performance, I think it's so great. It's so funny. Just every bitty, you know, every bit of, you know, when. Him looking in the boxes and the 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 stones aren't there, you know. There and then he's, you know, and then later on in the movie when he's into the in the shuttle, and he's, you know, he thinks he's got it and he leaves the bomb and he leaves and again it's not there and he's like, oh god, you know, he's got to go back, you know. I I love all that stuff, but it's a good blend of like CGI
0: with then practical effects. Well, I think that's why it holds up so much better than a lot of other movies. Yeah, it's because of that blend. I mean, I think CGI, and I think everybody would agree that CGI works best when you kind of blend it with... You use it to, like, accent or enhance practical (laughs) effects, instead of just be the sole uh, effect for the film. And I think that's one of the reasons why it holds up so great.
1: Uh, Basan wanted to shoot it in France, but he couldn't because he couldn't get, I guess, the right place. So he ended up filming in England at Pinewood Studios that we know and love, and he shot the Egypt stuff in Mauritania, and it took 21 Weeks to complete, and they shot in the Royal Opera House for the scenes in the Opera House there. And uh, he wanted the, the script to originally be a trilogy, but I guess he 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 brought it down
0: and condensed it to be just one movie. Yeah. Um, and and it, and it was at the time the most expensive non-American, non-USA movie. Ever yeah, made. The, the most
1: expensive European movie of all time. And uh, that was kind of a risk at the time for them doing that. You know, that to, to, to throw that much money into it and and have all this blend of stuff. And I guess that's kind of like a, a, a benefit to it in it because if they had gone a different way and blended all CGI or they did, or maybe it was all practical effects, it wouldn't have held up as well, like you're saying. I love uh, Ruby Red's character in it. Ruby, like I said, we're Rod. talking about Chris, Ruby Rod. He always says, Ruby Rod! Ruby Rod in it, his original name was Lock Rod. But then people say that it's, what is it, the... Uh, has to do with, a, there's a laser that, that originally that you know, this is based off of. His name, it's a, it's an inside joke. There's uh, rubidium, which is the the, uh, the first of the five uh, elements. And then halfway down the row there's an element, rhodium. So you put those together, it's ruby yeah. rod. If you look at the periodic table of the elements. Um, yeah, and I mean, and he's... And then also his character, Ruby's a girl's name, and the rod is like, you know, it's like a, a phallic name. So he's a very, uh, you know... It's feminine, but at the same time, it's masculine. It's very, you know, it's, it's, it's very down the, the down the line there.
0: Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he's certainly entertaining. Yeah. And, uh, I'll give that to him.
1: And uh, they had other what-ifs with him, too. To, to,
0: to well, yeah, like I said, they actually were thinking about casting Prince in that part. Yeah. And then they were also maybe thinking about Lenny Kravitz.
1: Yeah, or Jamie Foxx as well. Yeah, but I, I love Chris Tucker in this. I, I love his early work at the time. I thought he was great in this. Um. But then, yeah, there's also there's also little I guess little jokes in that, and then you know, and then at the end of that, with the goggles on those guys too, the the Mongoloids that was covering their eyes so that you didn't have to see like them making makeup to the transition to the human eyes in there, so they just put the eyes on them, which was yeah. pretty cool, you know.
0: A uh, little kind of like trivial type things is like there's no real clear indication. There's a lot of dispute as to what year the majority of the movie takes place. Yeah. You know, it says three hundred years after nineteen fourteen, which is where the kind of the beginning of the movie starts. But um, if you look at uh, Bruce Willis's character's alarm clock, it says the year is twenty two sixty three. Oh, that's interesting. But on the nineteen ninety seven DVD edition, uh, something ab- the notes in the DVD say it's twenty two fifty seven, and Luke Besson says it's twenty two fifty nine. In his book, *The Story of the Fifth Element*, so no one really knows. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to go strictly by screen, I guess it's it's twenty-two uh, sixty-three. Yeah, twenty-two sixty-three would be the thing.
1: Um, they're the. I like the scene when they're when they're transi- transitioning to get off of Earth, and you have the uh, the scene where um, them getting ready to like leave, and um, you know Ruby Rod's gonna get with that girl, and you have you have these Rastafarians. Um, Taking all like the the parasites off the bottom of the ship and they're doing they're smoking blunts and i've brought up before there's this really great um sci-fi book from the mid-80s called neuromancer by william gibson and in that future world too and he's the guy who they say coined the um uh cyberspace the term in that book uh the the rastafarian aspect plays really big into the end of that that there's Rast- rastafarians in the future so i don't know if that's a reference to that but I, f- yeah. I found it funny that in this you have rastafarians just smoking away big blunts in the bottom doing stuff like you know big up big up big up you know you know and that's also you look at that he has a rastafarian in the professional too that white guy who's like yeah. bomb a clock, you know it's, he's also playing a rastafarian so i wonder what his um uh, you know uh interest in rastafarianism <laughs> yeah I don't know know, who knows Um, and those were toys that they were taking off they were like 80s puppet toys that they had going off like they had like uh, uh, vibrating balls covered in rubber um, like knobs and it was a bubble ball like all that shit that they had falling off like remember those freaking things those scrunchy things at the time those were those things
0: now we were talking about themes kind of earlier in the movie and we said we'd come back to basically the big theme which is you know she's now learning throughout the movie she's learning about our history because uh, I guess we're supposed to assume she's been entombed in that thing from the beginning from 1990 from 1914
1: no that's for the, like
0: for, for like 5,000 years that's
1: the that's what's left of when the thing comes through you know when the ship comes through and they blast it and they grab the, sh- the things the only thing that's left I thought from that wreckage
0: was the hand no but in, remember they take there's that big like statue that they take in 1914, where they're like, "We're gonna take the stones. yeah, yeah." They
1: take it with yeah. They take her with it. Yeah, is she in that thing? No, I think that's just. I don't know what the hell that is. That's like their god, but I, she is part when when that one robot. Comes I mean, through, I get that.
0: That's her hand,
1: and then that is whatever's in there regenerates to be her. Yeah, yeah. You know, I get that part. Her,
0: her, seat, her code or whatever that is, the gene splice. Well, stuff. anyway, so she's learning all about yeah humanity, and, she's but uh, she hasn't been here for a while. <laughs> I mean, you could argue she's never been here, if she's being regenerated, because you don't know if the regeneration... And she's
1: being regenerated in the human form, too, so you don't know if it's... Yeah, like if she has some kind of memory,
0: or if it's just... I don't know. Or or if it's going
1: back to, like, if they're the ones who originally, like, seeded the world here,
0: and then, you know, they're like the gods. Yeah. You know? But anyway, so she's learning. Yeah. She's going... uh, She's using the internet. She's Googling stuff, and... (laughs) Google, what does this mean? She's going through alphabetically. And she kind of gets to the point where. uh, She gets to dub The the, the human nature is fucking shitty. Yeah. And I'm a strong proponent of this. I'm a very negative person. And I do think that humans suck. Yeah. Ultimately. And so I understand her her dilemma. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And so she comes time for her to do her thing. And she's like, why? Like, what's why save this? And then it takes Bruce Willis' love. Yeah, he
1: makes a show. And that becomes what the fifth element is. It's love. It's the it's the love of, you know, it's almost like he had to kiss her at the end, the damsel in distress. Yeah, yeah. But so know, it's... Uh, it's like, like Beauty and the Beast. You have to kiss the beast. Bef- there has to be a true love kiss before the last petal falls. It's like that uh, idea yeah. of the old fairy tale. It has to be like, the fifth element is love. Yeah. It has to be true love. It can't just be hooking up. <laughs> but love.
0: this, you know, this uh, this idea of that human nature... uh. Is so horrible is, yeah. is a theme that runs through a lot of movies and and science fiction movies and this idea of like why you know the the war and and what we do because she didn't even get to war by the time she started like everything you create that's a shame a, because a she stops
1: it she lets like, go <laughs> and then later on when she hits go again she's at W and she's like wars like you know and it's just yeah, a yeah. nice montage of her she starts crying and what's interesting and
0: if you look if you like freeze frame it and it's starting to show pictures of examples of the words under like weakness. There's a picture of like a wine bottle.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. No. so it's almost like it's a vice or it's a... Yeah, yeah.
0: But uh, so then, and then it was like, you know, love's worth saving. Um, You know, this, and ultimately like that's the most in-your-face kind of like theme of warning us about, you know, our ways of destruction, which seem almost as relevant today as ever. But then the idea of, like, love is, you know, something that's worth fighting for. Um, Yeah. And it's not exactly the same theme. And in this movie I'm about to bring up, it's kind of a more optimistic look of it. But one of my favorite... A movie that I love very much is John Carpenter's Starman. Yeah. And towards the end of the movie, when Karen Allen and and Jeff Bridges' character start having, you know, they... They become romantically involved, and they they're, falling, they're in love. And uh, he says something like, "Do you know what I like about humans?" And he says, "Because human man humans are at their best when things are at their worst. yeah and I was thinking "That's a very powerful." Stay, man, i love that movie well it's
1: exemplified here that like at the end of the movie when everything's falling apart they're able to bring it together yeah and have it you know they're able to save the day and figure out that that is what the fifth element is that it's love yeah, yeah. you know um what what's his face basan he said in his diary that it represents the life love and art is kind of the, the the yeah the synthesis of the five elements there or, or the of that fifth element there um the the thing i was trying to stumble over before was the ruby rod is the core element of the original laser so that's the joke for people ruby rod yeah you know for for all those scientists you know
0: technology fans out there now uh you know on a a quick side note because we brought up john carpenter luke passan had been in the news a lot this past year because of a lawsuit John Carpenter sued Luke Besson and his production company because of the movie Lockout from uh, 2012 saying that they plagiarized Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. And you said they won? And Carpenter actually won. <laughs> that's that's insane. Uh, so they, t- they stole elements of those two movies and Carpenter got paid. Nick Castle got paid who co-wrote the script with um, Carpenter and then the production co- the you know, the studio got paid then made it. And then when Luke Besson fought it you know like uh appealed the the decision then he, they got they got slapped with even more and so by like, July of 2016 the damages increased to like 450,000 euros or something like that from what was a lot less so Luc Besson was in the in the news a lot last year for for fighting with Carpenter in court over that um which I find interesting because there's a movie that came out in 2008 by Neil Marshall called Doomsday, which I would think if you're going to win... That's that Scottish movie. (laughs) Yeah. Escape from Glasgow. Yeah. Uh, If you're going to sue them and win, you might as well sue this other company and win too. Uh, But it also brings it back around to uh, the lawsuit thing, which we kind of hinted at earlier, which is after this movie came out, the director, uh, famous crazy director, Alejandro Jodorowsky, uh, turned comic book writer who uh who worked with uh mobius they ended up suing bassan because they said that he stole he plagiarized parts of the the fifth element from a comic book that they did called the uh incal uh yeah they stole yeah and it went on until
1: 2004 so that this movie comes out and what year is that? 97. So yeah. that goes on for
0: what? Almost. I mean, you don't know if they sued him right away. But yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it went on for a while. Ultimately, uh, they didn't win saying that, you know, there was really very little, if Tiny anything. Tiny fragments, as well as, a, what's his face? And with? the fact that he worked on the movie. <laughs> yeah, he, he,
1: was, he got a paycheck from, you know, he was in pre-production doing stuff like that.
0: But then you know? later, uh, Jodorowsky say that he and Mo, he and uh, Jean Girard, uh, obvious, they actually didn't file the lawsuit. Like, they actually didn't care that it was more the pu- the editor of the comic book is actually the one that filed the lawsuit.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, was, and I remember doing the research for this. I was trying to, for the life of me, I was like, I know that, they, you know, I, I'm not... I'm not so uh, well versed with his work, and I was like, we just talked about it, and it clicked with me that it was the, the holiday special Star Wars. Yeah. He had a big influence on that, and uh, you could see the similarities here with the two of them, with the two, lawsuits, uh, with the two, the two works and how they work together. Um, uh, and it's, it's 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 fickle because that's weird because I would think that they would have a little more of a of a of a chance here as opposed to
0: the Carpenter one, but then the Carpenter one wins, and then they don't win. You know, I mean, I guess the uh, the idea of like, well. He did pay you to work on the movie. I mean, the fact that he was going to use things we did, that were, were similar.
1: <laughs> I guess, yeah, they did do con- conceptual designs. ended up yeah, being yeah. big parts of the movie. Um, we said Jamie Foxx. We had Kevin Costner in the What If Game as the role of the general in this. And then um, we said Julia Roberts as well. So there's, there's a lot of weird what ifs in this one, too, um, that go on for a bit. Uh, also, we, we if we get to the part here with the, um, the diva. So supposedly up until i guess recently this song she sings was what uh this was completely impossible by the normal human voice they say
0: i guess yeah because when you get into that (laughs)
1: because when they asked the soprano um unva uh mula i might be saying that name wrong uh to, to to dub in the the voice when she got the sheet music for the diva dance she smiled and she said like the notes written are not humanly possible to achieve by the voice so what they had to do is they had to have her uh, perform the notes isolated then they put the notes together Uh, and that was like the big thing at the time but then uh, later on, it, it they say that it's different because like you know you can't go from like the high F to a, above high C. It's it's getting into the realm that I guess you're as a musician may know a little about theory, which I know nothing about. Uh, it, it's a difficult uh, um, to, to sing arias yeah. to do, and then uh, but recently we posted a video of this woman. I think it was a Chinese operatic singer who was able to for the first time she's successfully able to do it. So I guess you think about maybe once it's done. And you can yeah. practice it, you know, as opposed you can to work being the, towards it, yeah. Instead of invent it, so it was. It was recently they did it at some sort of big operatic event where this woman, she's a very well respected um, opera singer in in the in that yeah. world. She performed it and she did it perfectly, and it's you know it's it's a huge groundbreaking achievement that she was able to get those notes on such a difficult you know level which was interesting you know because uh, i find all that fascinating that you know you can't you know different things with that's to me it's like the on a much much lesser scale but like you look at people who yodel
0: yeah
1: are you able to go like the high low really quick you know and then you're able to you know like you know and make it sound good as opposed to just make it you know you know i think that it comes with i guess a lot of vocal training which is cool i think the like you said the enduring thing about this is that um um you know we had like you said the, the the movie is very musical, which seems like a big thing in like, uh, Luc Besson's catalog. The guy Erica Sira, who did the uh, the music for this, like the soundtrack is very European. You, Luc Besson. Yeah. Well, there's actually me a lot of much. different
0: aspects of his score, and there's actually a, 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 a like ninety percent of the movie is covered in score. Yeah. Which is pretty rare. I mean, yeah. you, usually you might uh, an, a composer might do, you know, like seventy percent. Or less, even. And you have some diegetic music maybe playing, too. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Uh, so it, it, you're right. And there's a lot of it where, like, you don't even notice it, which is, in my mind, you know, kind of... It's doing its job. It, yeah, it's, it's being yeah. effective because it's not, it's not, like, taking you out of the movie. Uh, and then, there, like I said, there's these certain, like, more R&B, fake drum-driven cues that really cement it in the in the world of the
1: 90s for me yeah like you had that sequence where the you know like i when i brought the rastafarians up you had like a like a little like uh you know uh, what do you call that trip hopper the sly and robbie kind of yeah. that reggae kind of a song you know like and then you have that guy tricky um, who's a trip-hop artist who was um, Gary was underling, you have another, I think there is a trip-hop song in there too. So there are kind of like period songs being yeah, put in there yeah. to sound kind of futuristic. But for the most part, the score is very much, like I said, it reminds me of like Leon is a very part of, of that score, you know, of, um, you know, the the world today and all that kind of a thing, you know. And, uh, and uh, you know, when I think of Luc Besson, I think of like, you know, his style and the music elements of it but i think uh a big success here is that the blend when it came out when it came about the blend of still using practical miniature effects it's on the cusp of good cgi it's cgi surprisingly for the time that holds up because we've quoted to the to our we're blue in the face of mid-90s cgi i mean uh What's the is it the beginning of um, Event Horizon where you see that stuff turning around which yeah, I don't like think looks as good around or... you know so there are t- stuff right the same year that's coming out that may not hold up as well nowadays yeah but it's it's used effectively here um so I think that's a testament of it like of its of its longevity or yeah. and it's also it's this area of science fiction where it's kind of different in the sense where it's going f- for that which I kind of love like like I always bring up that show Cops the cartoon fighting crime in the future time where it's a distant future, but it's one foot grounded within the 20th century reality, yeah. you know, and it, and it has that, you know, it's not hiding everything like, you know, f- with film, noir with shadows and dark and it's all shot at night. I like that. It's everything's out in the open. You have those elements and that's, you know, that's kind of unique, but it gets to be part of like, you have those like demolition man at the time or judge Dredd with Stallone, or you have movies that were kind of doing that kind of a thing at the time. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I guess that's like a sub, sub genre into it. Um, there was an a, a, a end scene for his, uh, Gary Oldman, Zorg's character that they didn't finish, but it's in the novelization where um, in the original draft of the script, uh, Bruce Willis and Gary Oldman, they do meet at the hotel during the evacuation. And Bruce Willis beats the crap out of, um, of Gary Oldman. And then um, he steals the sh- he beats the crap out of Gary Oldman because of what Gary Oldman did to Lilo. Mm-hmm. And then they steal Gary Ullman's ship and his, Garrowman's gun is out of ammo, um, and uh, he's able to survive the hotel blowing up, the hotel starship blowing up, and then he ends up, uh, I guess, landing or ending up on a massive glacier, and he calls his secretary to send another ship, but the battery on the gun, which is also a phone, fails, and he's just stuck there. But that ending shows up in the novelization, which, as opposed to just him blowing up in the movie.
0: Yeah, I also think some of the names might be different in the novelization, I, but I don't, that's one novelization I don't own.
1: So. Oh, because it, maybe because it's like Based Luke on, Rod as a Ruby Rod, or maybe yeah, or, yeah. you know Corbin Dallas's name. We said it changed like that, you know. So, um, and then they said that they were talking about a sequel for for a little time. The, the, no one's ever confirmed this, but there was a sequel rumored out there called Mister Shadow, which is the name that Gary Oman calls this big dark evil yeah, entity yeah. at the time that when it was done, but there
0: was talk about it, but I. Think I think Luke Besson might have said there was for him there was never an real plan to, to, do do, that, to do that.
1: Maybe in novelization form, um, that'll be cool. If you they know, were when to you further.
0: when you brought this up as a possibility to do, and because I hadn't seen it since 1997, and I and I didn't even really love it at the time. I was like, like. I, I, Fine, like, I don't, I certainly don't mind doing it, but I was like, does, does anybody care about this movie? Yeah. <laughs> and you were like, yeah, yeah, like people are into this movie. It's like, oh, and doing research, I mean, it was a really divided. It's completely polar. You either love it or you hate it. Yeah. Like yeah. it was very polarized when it came out. I mean, um, there's a film critic, uh, Mark uh, Kermode, who had written a thing and he was saying that it was the most polarizing movie of, of like for people that he had talked to and, and his readers and he he and, and something that he had written he had he had called it both both the best and worst summer blockbuster of all time yeah. um, also like other uh, you know it had been on lists of like the 20 worst science fiction movies of all time. Uh, and then in, t- in 2014, Time Out uh, listed it as the number number 42 on their 100 best science fiction movies of all time. And it so, also,
1: in, in 2007, uh, it ends up placing ties at number 50 on the 50th best. The Visual Effects Society's 50 most influential visual effects movies of all time. It yeah. ties 50 with a good old favorite of mine, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. And I think Darby O'Gill should be a little higher than 50. <laughs> I, but I... I think so, too. Because what they're doing in that movie in circa 1959, maybe, or 58, still holds up today. But yeah. that's for another day. But yeah, so that, that ties... That, uh, it tied... Um, Fifth Element tied with Darby O'Gill on, as number 50 on that list. And like we said, Gary Oldman hates this movie. Um, the movie ended up doing really well when it came out. I mean, it was shot for $90 million and it ended up making $263 million worldwide. And like you said, it was the most expensive uh european film ever made it remained the highest gross grossing french film ever made up until 19 uh until 2011 with a movie called the intouchables came out and that surpassed this And it had a staying power. I mean, people for years, like, you know, like I said, people quote the movie and stuff. These little, I quote the movie. uh, You know, people always talk about this movie. But at the time when I saw it, it was like, I didn't think it was a great movie. Like it's like a a masterpiece, but I thought it was a lighthearted, fun. You know, to me, it's like a visual comic book. It was just like a fun, you know, like uh, uh, a very great, unique way of looking at the sci-fi future that was different from a Blade Runner or different from, you know. Some of the stuff at the time, but it was light, it was fun, you had people you loved in it, it had weird twists and stuff like that. So, I enjoyed it when it came out, and I hadn't, I guess, I hadn't seen it for how many darn years until we watched it now. And it, like, I was surprised that a lot of the CGI holds up as well as it does for when it was made.
0: Um, yeah, it wasn't, uh, you know, like I said, I saw it last time I saw it was when I saw it in the movies, and uh, you know, this time I was not still not blown away by it i will say by the end though i was pretty engaged by it and i and i and i did eventually come on board with it but uh, it was certainly it's not a movie that i have a lot of nostalgia for so it's you know it's it's sheer even watching it now it's sure just like watching it for yeah. face value you know and just watching it as a movie i certainly don't dislike it i don't think it's a bad movie it's just uh it's just uh it's, it was never a thing for me so it's hard for me to kind of relate to it in that way. Yeah. I can see why this movie has strong supporters. Uh, it's certainly very stylish, and it is fun. Um, I've also never been a big Neil Yovovich fan. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't really have that going for it either, for, for me. I, you know, I enjoy Gary Oldman, and I like uh, Bruce Willis. Um, but it was interesting revisiting it now, 20 years later, uh, especially in the context of doing... a. Uh, a nostalgic podcast like the one we do yeah.
1: and, it's, I mean, and uh, it's topical for it being the 20 year anniversary of it this week too. yeah
0: 20th anniversary and mm-hmm. Luke had always said he after doing this he'd love to do like another big futuristic space thing and he's got one coming out yeah, this he year does. yeah which is uh, kind of Valerian and the city of a, of a thousand planets and it
1: kind of looks like it, again another movie that lives within this world yeah I, mean, I don't know if it's the same kind of style or the uh, same kind of like tongue in cheek of this with the, with the satiristic comedy yeah. the satire but you know That'll be fun to ch- definitely check out when it comes out because you know I've like I enjoyed this movie. Say
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Elizabeth Berkeley, she was um, f- uh, what if game. She was uh, f- they they were auditioning her as a role Lilo, but then when I guess um, showgirls right. failed, She'll
0: come right off showgirls. Yeah, they,
1: they decided not to do her. That's kind of Jesse sad. Spano. Yeah, you know you're a big fan of her. I am. Uh, they had a the video game come out in, in 1998 for the PC, and people said it was terrible. And then they had a racing game come out in 2001 called uh, New York Race, which was kind of based on the taxi cabs, the yellow cabs in this. Um, and then this was one of the movies that came out on the short-lived uh, Superbit format, the DVD format. Remember that? Th- that came and went, that format that never really lasted. This is a movie that they pushed at the time. Um, the, the end of this movie here, um, you know, you, when they end up really – killing the entity that we're going to call him Unicron when yeah. he comes in and he's just, you know, right outside the earth's atmosphere and you see him freeze and how they have the shot or, uh, he kind of stops and it almost becomes like he becomes a second moon. Yeah. Is yeah. that to le- lead us to believe that This has happened before how this, evidently this moon. evil
0: it's like every five thousand years. yeah this
1: evil happened. this isn't the first time this evil came and i don't know if it's the same evil but it will come again and that's why we need the fifth element that's why we need these people that's why we need love that's why we need these other stones and all that so yeah that's my question to you is do you think that maybe it's speculative that that, that i mean they're not laying it out but maybe they're putting the question in your mind that maybe the our moon is the last entity that's a very good question you know because how it how they frame that it became fucking Tatooine all of a sudden. <laughs> you know I and mean? it's like oh, maybe well, that's
0: two suns. You know, What's oh, that? is it two
1: suns? Okay, which one has two moons? I thought one, one of them has
0: two moons. <laughs> but uh, now, I'm uh, if that thing's gonna stay there, you know, the tides are gonna be all fucked. Can you imagine? You know, I'm, I'm sure in that world they'll blow it up. You know, be they'll put they'll
1: put like more explosions than they need to on it, and it'll be one of those situations where um they completely ruin the thing. Uh, you know, they and they they you know. They end up like killing a uh, you know like a whole city or something because they they do it wrong like I can I'm I can, you could see like in in the Paul Verhoeven kind of a world where they uh you know they're like oh sadly because of the moon we had to blow up uh, all of old Detroit was completely blown up <laughs> and that but that's what happens now to your local that's, commercials. that's the next one the yeah. sequel is
0: them blowing up Mister Shadows uh, corpse and, and then uh, ruining most of the country most of the planet
1: last but far. Uh, least of all this I love the little cameo by the uh, Chinese guy who was the he had the um the little truck that was oh, Bruce yeah, Willis's yeah. friend and he's the gentleman who I, I I'm trying to find his name he is in uh, a favorite of ours uh, a king of com the king of comedy he's the one when he's the guy from a king comedy I always quote when he's like he calls it's the scene where Rupert Pumpkin goes out with Sandra Bernhardt and they go to like um uh, Jerry Lewis's house and he's uninvited to Long Island yeah, yeah. And, he, and then the Chinese guy it's his like butler calls Jerry Lewis he's like he's he all over the place he touched everything he ruined, he ruined everything you know it's that actor and I love him to death and it's cool yeah, he's yeah. in here and I would love that I saw that thing I was like how awesome would that be to have that guy just fly up to your window Like you want some Chinese food and like, you know, he makes and you, you hang out with him and he's like Yo, you Blade Runner you, you, you got to call you know Yeah. yeah. Uh, I loved him in it but it was great to see him as a little cameo so uh, a little long winded this cast but what did you think of it so uh i guess certainly you had a um a pleasant or surprise and you said you would you initially thought
0: yeah i just uh, you did
1: seem like like why what the who's gonna fucking? i was, I was like, like people like
0: that. yeah movie? and i was like yeah
1: <laughs> mr blake they do
0: they, they, they have there's, there's a <laughs> like, really that. yeah uh yeah it was okay yeah uh i don't know i feel like maybe had i been younger when it came out and saw it younger yeah, maybe it would've it would've would've, yeah, I would have fared better. I would have grown. So, if up. you
1: saw it in the professionals' place,
0: if it came out in the professional mm, day, I don't know, but I mean, like, you know, how old we were like 17, 18 when yeah, it came, when out. came out. So, uh, had I seen it when I was like 12, yeah, you know, and like I grew up with it yeah. on video or something or watching it on TV, obviously, I think I would have a much different opinion of it. Um, and it's weird because I do have, you know, that's the dilemma of of doing this podcast is, you know, how current can we get and still have like the same nostalgic feel for movies? Uh, you know, I tend to be more nostalgic for movies of like the nineties and even the two thousands than you are. And even though I love many, many hundreds, thousands of movies that are from the seventies and earlier, I don't have the same kind of nostalgia for them that you do so there's this weird yeah you wrestle with the
1: the the the, 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 the definition of the nostalgia verse if it's nostalgic specifically to you verse. yeah for me it's the, like
0: it's far hard for me to visualize having like real nostalgia for a movie that came out so much before i was born yeah. like i because <laughs> i mean i guess but if you watched on tv and stuff but i didn't have cable so i didn't watch a lot of movies on tv yeah uh you know older movies so you know, it's weird for
1: me because you, you, you time dated it. This came out when we were 18. I took a girl to see this at a date in a movie. But then I have such nostalgia for it because I guess, you know, I'm a big Gary Oldman fan at the time. I used to watch the Gary Oldman scenes in this movie and then maybe me working at the video store. We used to pop this in and I that's how it cuz I don't I can't envision me watching this over and over again. Yeah. But I know it I mean, like Could you really pop there's nudity and stuff in it? Yeah, I mean, but, it's but in the background. it's very it's very slight, yeah. You can get away. You be surprised we used to be getting you know, <laughs> and stuff like that, you know. And if you know when it is, you just fast forward to that scene or whatever, yeah, yeah, you know. Right? Or if you, our thing used to be like, you know, after nine o'clock, you wouldn't get a lot of people in if you're open till midnight. Yeah. So you can put a little diceier stuff in, you know. But certainly that stuff you can you can kind of get by with because I don't think there's any swearing in this movie, you know. So this was one of the ones we keep in, revolu- in, in circulation. I mean, we used yeah. to do, you know, great. We do Papillon. We do like all kinds of stuff all over the Gambit. You know, Kelly's Heroes was a huge staple. You know, and then at night you do like a little more risque stuff because if people were coming in, you were coming in with kids. But this was a movie that I remember seeing a lot of up until I guess college because what I'm realizing now being like married and I don't know if other people who who are married or have families and kids like you used to have a time in your life where you'd be able to rewatch the shit out of stuff. And now I don't have that anymore. So like, you know, once I watch something, I never know when I'm going to rewatch it because there's so much other stuff to watch or there's so much stuff for you to do. Yeah, you know so it's I don't remember when I watched the crap out of this but like I know it enough to be so, I had to have you, 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 you know, had repeat viewings yeah, at some point so you know so it had to be around there so like you know so for me to, to, to rate this movie I'd say it's a solid three three 3.5 5 out of 3.5 out of 5 because I love like I said, this kind of a this niche sci-fi, sure. futuristic, urban sci-fi, uh, future noir, and then you know being Gary Oldman fans, and I'm not the biggest Luc Bessant fan. Uh, after we just did a whole cast on Luke Bessant. but I certainly love the professional, and I love this movie. But I do see flaws in both movies with sure, plotting sure. and stuff like that. Yeah. So I can see even I remember the first night watching this, it was like you walk out of like oh you know it was fun, you know it's fun it's 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 neat it's like it's you know but I can certainly see where there's people who Yeah, I guess they must hate this movie because it's so polarized. Yeah, I mean... You know, there is a divide there. So for nostalgia, I'll give it a lot of nostalgic because I have nostalgia. I have like a a, a whole night of, uh, you know, going to see this movie and and then afterward. And then, you know, being just an older movie that I can't even imagine that it's 20 years old now. Yeah, yeah. It's freaking
0: insane. I mean, I would give it like three, not so much because of my fondness for it, but like, because I can see watching it this time, like I can see the potential for sleepover material. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I can see, I can understand why this, you know, people would have a nostalgic fondness for this movie, even though I don't.
1: I mean, you rent this with, like, Total Recall or, like, like we keep bringing Demolition Man up. You know, that's yeah, a good three-nighter yeah. right there. Yeah. You know, or even Mario Brothers, although I keep bringing Mario Brothers up because when you get to, like, King Kuba's kind of, like, land, yeah. it's, well, it it's so weird.
0: Well, it's also so, like I said, there's something very 90s about this, and there's yeah. something so blatantly 90s about Super Mario Brothers that's, like, yeah. unavoidable. If you were going to put, like, for me, if you are going to put, like, not, you know, 90. If you want to make a time capsule of 90s movies that really captured, you know, like Wayne's World, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. And Mario Brothers. That, that's certainly it. Uh, you know, the movie's like this is what it was fucking like in there. Yeah, right 90s. here.
1: Uh Kim Chan is his name. The gentleman I couldn't remember his name died in 2008 at age 90. So God bless him. He God was the guy him. from uh the King of Comedy in this movie. And you know, I was like uh, pleasantly surprised that a lot of the um, CGI aspects of like the beginning with the car, the police cars, and all that, all held up because I, I thought that it's such a cool sequence yeah. there with all that and you know and the the police chase and all that and it's just so funny. It's 300 years in the future, but they're just doing the same stuff that they do nowadays, like yeah. that kind of a thing with like nothing has changed. They're going through fast food, getting McDonald's. They're hanging out, and not just police, but like even procedural stuff. And sure. So I find all that fun. So this was a nice walk down memory lane. Uh, you know, and you were able to revisit something you never thought you'd ever revisit again.
0: <laughs> I was intentionally avoiding it, yeah. that's not, uh, not the first thing that comes to of mind. Course, if I'm of gonna course, watch something.
1: But it's 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 nice that it it just really shows our age. that it's a, it's a twenty year Yeah, yeah. You know, well, even the
0: fashion is so nineties. Like I the know, colors. but it's the, but it's funny.
1: It's, it's future. It's future fashion, so it's always yeah. dated. Where it's funny. It's like uh, you know, I always have a, a great fascination looking at like the twenties and thirties. Pictures of the land of tomorrow, yeah, so yeah. you can always see like you know like Forbidden Planet, like what they look think the future is going to look like, or the '70s Logan's Run, what they're going to look the yeah, future. Yeah. So this is like you're saying it's so '90s the future look, you know, yeah, yeah. it's very much like Demolition Man. You know? It makes
0: you wonder because I was like I recently watched Alien,
1: yeah, and or and but that's different. It's weird because that's more practical. It's so you know it's like a but different you look idea at like the it.
0: computers and stuff, and you wonder with like music. How I said a lot of the score, a lot of like the more beat driven things are so '90s. You just wonder, like, why didn't people just think of, like... Using technology and music or whatever that is so fucking of the era. Like could they not have foreseen like touch screens in 1979 <laughs> but that's tough
1: though because uh, well they did in freaking the holi- I mean, in the Star Wars holiday special they had wall screens <laughs> you know but it's tough because i think that's a lot of monday morning quarterbacking
0: because yeah well obviously yeah like because obviously because you think it's easy about it to look back yeah, at it now yeah i say why but... can't you
1: think of that because it's so cuz anything up until this movie this movie might be the last sci-fi movie it probably isn't but for us to use it as an example where it's almost still transistors, where his his you know he's hitting big yeah. buttons, you know, on his taxi, you know. So it's like, in they they all still have tube television screens, you know. Yeah, so yeah. and like within, if this movie was made five years later, it would have been all like you said, like it'd been like you know flat screens and you know like digital, you know everything will be small phones and everything. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it's all very, it's like people don't realize the, t- the cusp of technology. So I guess the real dreamers of the. The, I was gonna say voyeurs, but I mean the um, the autors or the people who are able to then look yeah. and see what the future's gonna You gotta gonna think of like if you're that.
0: gonna do like a big sci-fi like. Futuristic film. You should like
1: really gotta go balls out. Yeah, go and you should meet with you know,
0: like technology people, what some people that do. are working and be like, know? Well what's next? Like what can- <laughs> you know, and that's why <laughs> what a lot working
1: of working on a lot of stuff I think is held in such high regard, like Philip K. Dick work as well as the guy just referenced William Gibson who did Neuromancer yeah. just that's made in the early eighties, but it's still so for thinking that he coined cyberspace and it's you know, because they're able to envision that. Yeah, yeah. You know? So sometimes it's just right off it's right off the mark, you know. Yeah. And it could be like like you're right. Alien is supposed to be whatever time, but it's so seventies. Yeah, you know, with the, the they, they're like logging in a doll. They're using floppy disks. You know, I, what did I just watch? I watched something over the weekend, and it was like the uh, what the hell was it? And they're, uh and they, they had to take a. Oh, I was watching Airwolf, an episode of Airwolf, and like they're doing some trials and Borgnines in the back as the co-pilot, and they're like, and then Jan Michael Vincent's like, okay, load in the new program, and he like. Borg very delicately takes out a CD and he puts the CD into the and this huge fucking CD drive you know and it yeah, looks so yeah. for 1984 or 5 it's so forward thinking but it's yeah, just yeah. it's just a CD you know <laughs> but it's so funny but you're like wow it's so that's so forward thinking you know so. yeah yeah but hey, thank you very much for listening this week. We got a, of uh, course, another installment, all new in two weeks. I know we're, this is you gonna know? be a very exciting. Story. Yeah, I we, know we keep saying that. Yeah, right and now. I hope we don't, you know, we don't uh, the, blow our water. Summer, Sorry, summer's
0: gonna suck. You know, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, we, we'd hope we don't. We don't, don't have high expectations. I'm at all.
1: worried about that. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna blow ourselves out. I said blow our wad, but I mean like we're just gonna like, you know, blow pull out all the stops this week this summer that we're never gonna be able to this is gonna be that one summer we can never get back to the greatness because you can we've say got some blow your
0: wad. That's all right. Is it all right? It's a gambling term. Is it blowing your wad? You go out of cash.
1: It's funny you say that because I had a friend of mine who just went to Colorado know, while he I was I know there. People think it's sexual. <laughs> That's
0: not actually the origin of the phrase. Well it's
1: like the um my friend, he's in Colorado visiting friends, and he went to a glass factory watching glass made. And he's like, "Dude, you want to know the origin of some of the dirtiest terms?" He's like, cuz when you put the glass into the to the oven, that's the glory hole, and you got to blow." So there's all these yeah, terms yeah. that are just so nasty sounding, but they've been reappropriated and turned into like dirty words. So I didn't know blow your wad was, oh, yeah. you know, blowing your when you're when you're shooting your craps and you yeah, know, yeah. Or getting, shooting your wad, or getting like a backdoor little Joe, and Daddy needs a new pair of shoes with your fine ass. So, but anyway. Hey, check out our Facebook page. Hey, check out our Twitter page. Check out our our regular Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers page. We got a lot of extras there for each cast. We like to call
0: for the reading. Subscribe to us. Please, uh, if you can take a few minutes to jump on things like iTunes and whatnot and rate and review. If you could. It would help us become more visible to other people that are looking for movie podcasts.
1: Uh, like us, share us, tell friends about us. You know, um, Spread the word. Yeah. And you've been doing a great job. All of our, our listeners are so awesome. We have this little niche community and people are now giving us feedback on stuff like you know people liked my diatribe on the Titanic which was <laughs> well, amazing it was, a, it was a very
0: informative diatribe yeah it
1: was, it was very you know and, and, and stuff like that and our reservoir dogs our trip down memory lane with film school days and you know and we did a little of that here but not so much as we really got into our comic book origins last year of our meeting which you'll learn a lot about this summer because we're hitting our 20 year anniversary me and Blake I know, I'm gonna have to look up and see what the color is for 20 do I give him a bronze or a piece <laughs> of wood or what's I don't know what 20 is I'll the, we, we do what our yeah, so um <laughs> but oh well thank you very much and we'll see you in two weeks.
0: Later